Hello there, and welcome to Pink Milk, your Star Wars podcast for us super fans. And those of us who are forced to listen to them. Today is someday, and someday we're giving a big F you to you, Moffin Top Gideon. Take that, Moffin Top Gideon. Get ready. It's time to drink up. Drink up. Hello there, Pop Pop. Well, hello there, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a joy. I missed you this week. Well, that's understandable. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you know what? I missed it myself. I'm sorry. I couldn't get on in time. Sorry, Gus. He just didn't like you that much. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. I like you just enough. (laughs) Oh, wow. Even worse. Well, hello there. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I kid. <laughs> Hello there, my name is Brian. With me, as always, is my better half and your better host, Thomas. Where you come for the Star Wars, but you stay for the gay. Stay for the gay. <laughs> Except for those of you that left us this week on Twitter, because God forbid your host fight for their marriage. Did I tell you about that, Thomas? You didn't tell me about that, yes. Brian. <laughs> so uh, just in case it's a big part of this conversation, actually today it kind of dominates the whole thing. Justices uh, Thomas and Alito are threatening to challenge the marriage equality and uh, our right to be married because it infringes on religious freedom. Seriously? So, yep. Huh. So unlike most Pink Milk episodes, I lose my cool. There's lots of F-bombs, but I'm really not cool about that. But anyways, I posted like a little rant about how awful that was, and we started losing followers. I'm like, bye-bye. But followed with that was mostly (laughs) nice people like saying, you know, here's the deal. And thank you to them. How do you not know we're gay? Just in case you're listening and you don't know, we're gay. Isn't it just important that you know? Super gay. I'm a boy. I like to kiss other boys. Well, not anymore. I like to kiss one boy. You actually sound like Margaret Cho's grandmother. (laughs) Why are you so gay? Oh my God, I think someone talks about Margaret Cho on this very episode and you weren't here. Anyways, we missed you this week, Thomas. Well, thank you. It's good to be missed. Yes, this was our last round table for our rewatch of The Mandalorian where we really didn't rewatch it well we all rewatched it but we didn't really talk about it but we talked about a lot of other queer things and honestly yesterday uh the day we're recording this was national coming out day so all of this has been very topical um but yeah it's pretty great well i look forward to it so let's get to it but before we get to it we need our call to action this has been a very important week. If there is any episode that you've listened to on Pink Milk, that you share about Pink Milk, that you tell a friend about Pink Milk, honestly, it's this one. We need you. We need our straight allies. We go into a whole lot of talk about what an ally really is. So if you think you're an ally and you're not doing what we talk about here, 
honestly, and I mean this with the best of intentions, hold a mirror to yourself and see if you're doing the right things because we really do a very deep dive on what that means. So share this episode. We would appreciate it. Honestly, these have been very important conversations, not just for Pink Milk, but for all of us LGBTQ plus people and more, even more so for those people who are not LGBTQ plus to understand what it's like to live in our shoes. And while you're at it, you can also go to Apple Music and give us a written review and give us a five-star review because it really helps us get in more ears. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Serving Pink Milk. That's Instagram and Twitter at Serving Pink Milk. And please do not forget to head to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. We really need you. We need our allies. And that's you. Thomas, you ready? I'm ready. It's time to drink up. Drink up. Mark, you were just talking about building your lightsaber and being with all the kids. And this is going to sound really creepy, really fast. But <laughs> before I was a dad, I used to always go see Star Wars opening night by myself because it's a very emotional experience. And I think I went and saw uh, one once with people and they just teased me the whole time. So I was like, OK, I'm good Aww. seeing this with people. But so I'd always go opening night by myself at like the midnight showing or whatever. And then I would go again on Saturday mornings at like the 1030 or 11 o'clock in the morning show. And I knew all the families would be there. And here's where it's going to get creepy real quick. Cause I would stand there at the end and I would like, look for the little kid who just was beaming with excitement. And I would very creepily go sit next to them because there was nothing like the energy of a little kid who loved Star Wars to like bring me right back there. And so Aww. I always, I always enjoy how kids will just let themselves get there. And yeah. it's very yeah. real to them. I've said it before. Like, I choose to, like, look at these like they're real people. I don't, which we're going to get into this conversation. I know later in this podcast, but, like, of letting, I don't care about who the actor is. I don't care about what's going on there. They are Obi-Wan Kenobi or they're Luke Skywalker. And that's how I choose to view it. With that said, this has been a little bit more of a challenge in recent news, which we will talk about. But anyways, uh Let's all introduce ourselves, who we have at the table today. And this is our last table, so this is going to be a sad, a little, a little sucker paw episode, but it's going to be a good one. Mark Marquis, let's start with you. <laughs> season two. Hi, I'm Mark from Alabama. I'm with Clashing Sabers podcast. I have a podcast called Forever Star Wars on that network. And uh, I'm very sad that this is our last round table. Yes, it's it's going to be it's going to be sad. Who is your favorite character from this season one of The Mandalorian? That'll be our question today for everyone. There's no doubt. Quill. No yes. doubt at all. <laughs> uh, he just is the he's the center of, you know, every scene he he, he centers every scene he's in. Um, he is wonderfully uh, direct. And that kind of directness, you always know where you stand with him. Uh, it's refreshing. There's no subterfuge. There's no, you know, uh, reading between the lines with Quill. Um, he is who he is. And I think for all queer people, you know, being who you are is something that we all strive for. So 
I kind of see a little bit of that in Queel. That's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Ian, how about for you? So I think my favorite character might have to be the armorer. I just love the mystery surrounding her. I love what she represents for the Mandalorian in terms of um, she, she to me represents like a queel, but of the Mandalorian covert. And then when we finally see her in chapter eight, kick some ass, I was here for it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. The armor. Mother is sure. not to be messed with. Oh yeah. <laughs> She's great. Don't mess with your drag mama. Hope. How about for y'all? <laughs> um, hi, I'm Hope from uh, J Guys and Jedi, and I also have a website called Geeky Girl Experience as well. Um, my my favorite is also Kawil, um, for all the reasons that Mark said. So I'm gonna say my second favorite, which is Mayfield. <laughs> he is all my favorite things about Imperials, um, especially really bitchy Imperials who don't get their way and they're just like, I just want to lead stuff and nobody <laughs> likes me. Man. Like he went from like super badass to full like critic breaking down like, but I have my things. Um, I just, I love really bitchy mean girl Imperials and Mayfield was that exact thing and I love them so much. That's why I love the Imperials, uh, the Biker Scouts at the beginning of episode 8 because they're Bitchy Imperials who don't know how to do shit. They're my favorites. I think that's your next blog article. <laughs> Imperials meets the plastics from Mean Girls. Oh, I, I've <laughs> talked about that yes. many, many times on my podcast of how I love bitchy Imperials. Like when Tarkin and Critic are together, I'm just like... <laughs> oh my god so so our saying from off and top gideon needs just needs to be regina george so for us we'll just talk about regina george <laughs> i'm waiting for him to have his imperial meltdown of like no things are not going my way no like i'm just waiting these for are it. diet bars they're diet bars <laughs> every imperial has their meltdown moment where they just go full plastic every single one just look at how they do and i love it mark perez how about for you Oh, so um, I, I love like the characters that everybody has brought up already because obviously they bring something special to the show. But um, after watching, after the rewatch, I have to say that it's Moth Gideon for me because um, his presence, the way he carries himself. Um, I love how, how you first see him as a hologram, and I love that. You know, it just and then of course, obviously, then we get his grand entrance where he starts, you know, chewing up the scenery. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Giancarlo Esposito because I, I love that actor. I've loved him for quite a long time. I love his presence, the, his delivery, that voice. He just always adds something, such value to everything he's in. So uh, I'm, I'm, I've got all eyes on that character. I can't wait to see what they do with it. And that Darksaber. Oh. <laughs> I am yeah. really excited for, for that actor because all he's going to be to me is, is Muffin Top. And everyone is so excited about him, but I don't know who I've never seen any of the other shows that he's in. So like, yeah. I'm just like, I'm excited off of everybody else's energy about how great this, this person is. And the dude's he's, rad in interviews. He's he yeah. and he's the, the, the energy. He actor. loves it. He obviously loves that he's on the show. That is so awesome. Emma. <laughs> um, so I'm Emma. I'm from Montreal, Canada. Um, 
And uh, my favorite character is Omera from this season. I am a sucker for a strong woman. And she is very strong. She's resourceful. And she's loving and compassionate. So it's like the perfect combination of everything for me. I just if when I see a woman is a good shot and has like perfect aim, I just I just melt. I can't. <laughs> Emma, do not ever listen to our original podcast when we go over that chapter. <laughs> I'm dying to because, go back and listen to that now. Oh, I to, do not actually. think you will like any of us anymore. We are. I'm sure we cross every line you're never supposed to cross. <laughs> but we've already been over this. I entertain many different, I am tolerant of many different Star Wars opinions. Everyone can have whatever opinion they want. They can chip who they want. It's fine. It's fine. We all have our different opinions, and that's totally cool. Because Tom does not like that person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for it. I just, yeah, anyways, I'm going to, I, I said last time, I think y'all may have converted me a bit and I really want to be there because it's much more romantic than the, like, that it hit it in the quit it girl that I think she is. <laughs> but, that, yeah. Okay, now that's just insulting. Oh my. No, hey, I'm here for that. I am, I compared her, yeah, I think it's great. I think she's like the Samantha Jones of the Mandalorian and I'm here for it. I love it. <laughs> I love, I love what that can represent, but I am not, I don't under, I, but I think y'all may have converted. Me. They're there for weeks. That's a lot Must of say. hitting and putting it for weeks. <laughs> well, you know, uh, okay, that's true. That's you're right. You're right. There we go. Anyways, <laughs> that's, that's basically <laughs> our review of that episode. Uh, <laughs> in one sentence. <laughs> But I think I am a different person now. But just to be there, if she, I'm all about both of those avenues. I think either one is equally as empowering and wonderful. But that was my, anyways. Uh, so speaking of the armor, I think the armor might be my favorite character too. I really love Baby Yoda. I have loved Baby Yoda even more after our conversations and after. I think this is probably the seventh time I've watched the whole series. So I'm like really noticing the little things now. (laughs) Nice. And after we just saw Empire, I'm like, I really think we might be getting like another Yoda moment where he's not quite as innocent as he's leading on, which makes Mm -hmm. him that much more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And what he might mean to Mando, because I, I, I'm watching this thinking everything in this show has to funnel back to the Mando somehow. Every character, every decision that everyone makes has to lead back to his his story. At least this season, probably next season, we can branch out later. But what all of these people mean to him is what makes it interesting. But I think that's why I also I love the armor. I think she steals the scene every single time she's in it. And I loved her before but after we saw the dark saber i loved her like this is where my speculation hat starts going and it makes me love her more because i'm on the camp that i think she might i think she's probably a little older than we think she may or may not be I think she is a loyal. I think there's a possibility that she either is or was a loyalist to Darth Maul back during the Siege of Mandalore. She's somehow related to them, and that's what those little horns are suggesting. Interesting. And I find it really awesome. That's a good point. If and uh, all those ties might be gone now, 
but with the introduction of the dark saber i think we're about to see the man i think by the end i think by the end of season two my prediction is din will be able to remove his helmet because the mandalorians like that's going to be this focus point where they are no longer just foundlings they are no longer just wearing an armor they're going to take their pride on and they're really going to internalize it and now we can remove our helmet but i think it's going to change what mandalorians are right now and i can only imagine if his mentor was a follower of darth maul and now din's going to be related more closely to the jedi or force sensitive people and starting to walk the path towards the light and now he has his drag mother and his mentor who follows a different way and i think that could be some really interesting an interesting uh break for mando of coming out into your own and leaving and leaving your fa- your family to follow your anyways that's my prediction that's my hopefully responsible speculation but I mean, it would fit with uh, Bo-Katan as well, because Bo-Katan also for a while followed Maul, too, and so did yep. Ursa Wren. Um, so all these characters that we do know and have seen has followed Maul before, so that would definitely fit in with the, the story and then, Yeah, so and Death Watch being there and all that, it's... There's just some good stuff. That's that's why the Darksaber was so exciting. All the pieces of the history that come with it, paired with the rumors that we thought are coming for Season 2, like makes the Darksaber so interesting because of everyone's different relations to that one object. It's just going to be, it's so cool. So we're going to start this episode off real quick with, I think not that any of our round tables have exactly followed a, a to B to C <laughs> linear <laughs> review of uh, any of these chapters. Uh, but I actually think it's made for a much more interesting conversation. We're going to start this with chapter seven and we find out that the remaining Imperials have kind of really taken over Navarro. They're, they're upset about getting schooled, I think. So now they're doubling down and asserting their power on everyone. And Grieve Karga asked to ask for Din's help to come back and they have forged a plan. And, uh, Din is smart enough to know to not trust this dude, so he is going to find his family that he has made along our journey of these previous six chapters. So we see Kara and we see Kawil again, and uh, so we pick them up. What were our thoughts of seeing of seeing these people again? Okay. Ian, let's start with you. <laughs> okay, so I think um, I mentioned this before too, and um, it was just this time around seeing Kara is just such a betrayal now and um for me personally it's like uh, like I can't part of me can't stand it anymore um mm. but on the positive end seeing Quill and IG again um is amazing as usual and it's so well done. The stop motion animation crew did a real good job making sure that, like, that was a great use of practical effects to me because um, we saw IG units move in uh, the Clone Wars when Cad Bane tries to take over, or Cad Boo tries to take over the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> and um it seemed a whole lot it seemed very fluid 
And here we get to see what, like, to me, an actual robot would sort of move like in real life. So I thought they did a great job there. But Taika, as a voice actor, ah, so good. And as usual, on point. Uh, He's so, like, hilarious in his own um, unintentionally, partially, but intentionally partially way and i love it the uh you know he walks in and then there's that tense music they point their guns would anyone care for tea (laughs) (laughs) and oh it's so great and um i you mentioned it too with uh he's going back to his family that he's Mm -hmm. established and um, for me, I, I can identify that with that because I have my birth family and, um, you know, we're luckily we're really close, but then there's my LGBT family, my star Wars family, and then you guys, my LGBT star Wars family, um, <laughs> that we choose and that, mm-hmm. uh, we stay in touch with no matter what. And um, that added another layer of just, like, feelings. Um, So, and then real quick, too, with the baby Yoda, um, you know, not really knowing who he was or us not really knowing what it is, um, baby Yoda's definitely way more intelligent then it lets on absolutely it's 50 years old and and so i think it's more akin to like a four or five year old trying to pretend to be like a three or four year old or two year old (laughs) um you know kind of playing dumb but this time around on my rewatch i noticed a lot more when the camera like a main character will do something and the camera then pans over to baby yoda it's internalizing what's going on and um it's cognitive cognitively aware of the world around it and everything that's going on in it and i think that with season two uh and we've talked about this a little bit i don't think it's inherently evil or bad i think um you know what's happening to Din Djarin, the baby's making Din Djarin a better human being or a better Mandalorian. But I think there's that inverse where because it's internalizing and taking in all this violence and action that Mando is doing to protect it, uh, it's making it more violence prone in the same way that, you know, if you're five years old and you're playing a mature video game, like you're more likely to lash out at people. Um, you're more likely to have violent tendencies. Um, so, yeah, so that's what I got. That's awesome. That's beautiful. I want to uh, respond to something you said, but Mark Marquis may have to leave a little early today, so I want to see, uh, get his feedback just in case he has to leave before we're we're here so mark marquis what were your thoughts when he when we see our family coming together again well ian covered most of them 
Um, <laughs> but uh, I absolutely agree on everything that Ian said about uh, the baby, the child has, uh, absorbing his surroundings and uh, the show making a point to illustrate his reaction to violence and that he's seeing it and it's registering with him in some form or that's going to come back in some, in some way in the future. Uh, and may already have been, I mean, the, there's the, the, the force choking scene where he's, he's acting on instinct of this is, this looks to me like a bad thing and I'm going to help the Mandalorian mm-hmm. here, but not having the, uh, the discipline as a force user to know the difference between what is dark and what is light and no Jedi to help him discover what's dark and light. So yeah, I absolutely agree with that take on the child's potential darkness. Um, I just love these two episodes so much because, um, you know, having seen the series a few times now, we kind of, we sort of have a, have the sense of it all being sort of, cohesive yet when we were watching it week to week at least i felt like there were times when i felt like it was jumping around a lot and i didn't see the connective tissues quite as clearly as i do in retrospect and for me this episode seven and eight bringing everyone back was just that thing that feloni's so good at where you think he's throwing you a filler episode but it's really not because it contains something really important for later. And I don't know how many times we have to go through this where people complain and I'm like, do you not know who it is? Uh, (laughs) It's yeah. These two episodes felt like kind of like in a mini Avengers, like we're going to bring everyone back together again at the end. And I loved that aspect of it. I'm 110% on board with what Ian said about Cara Dune. I just, unfortunately, I cannot separate what the actress's opinions are from the character. And I've, I've thought about this, and I, I think some of it has to do with Cara Dune's character seems to be motivated by, to a large degree, vengeance. And so I can't sympathize with her to the effect that I can maybe another character. I don't know. And I don't know if that's my own gender bias and I'm stereotyping her because, you know, female characters have the right to be just as complicated as male characters. Um, You know, first I thought, well, maybe she's not empathetic enough, but again, that's gender stereotyping. So I'm conflicted. Also the fact that she's a very physical being, she's very, you know, uh, there, you know, the character is violent. I mean, you know, it's okay to be, you know, to defend yourself, but she is a mixed martial artist and her views on some of the most vulnerable and marginalized people in our society is very upsetting to me when her entire, everything that she's crafted, her persona around is around fighting and violence. It's just, I don't know, I have a really, really, really mixed feelings about it. So... Yeah, to say that I have uh, complicated feelings about Carrie Dune is putting it mildly. Um, I see. I don't. I'm not sure where to go with that. Uh, yeah, just no. our, our initial feelings about the about bringing everyone together. Um, I think I've already spoken about how I feel about Queel, and um, you know, aside from those misgivings, uh, I really just love the way these two last two episodes play out. Um, 
So, you know, I think it's interesting what you were talking, what you had mentioned about how aggressive she is because she is, and she is a very, uh, revenge is her driving motivational. It's her motivation for everything. Uh, her hatred towards the Imperials seems to lead everything. She's no, 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 until it's, oh, it's that? I'm good with Adam. It's the only thing she allows herself to be attached to is her anger towards the Imperials. Um, and it's something that I think that character is there to show one side of Din. If he continues down this path, you're going to be become so hardened that that is where you will end up. Your She has her hatred towards the Imperials, but if Din keeps this up, He's going to have this hatred towards droids and we're in the Star Wars galaxy and droids, you know, again, we've mentioned it on the show before L3 changed everything. I mean, L3 was the character that was the voice of so many behind it. Um, And then we have IG, who is the droid who has been reprogrammed and, and taught something new. And if a droid can be taught something new, then humans should be able to also. And I found it very interesting when I was watching it, especially the second time. And it's probably to everything you brought up of the real world situation that Cara Dune needs to learn to soften herself, not change who she is, not change what she stands for, but I think soften the, the there has to be another fuel it's like rose tico says and i love what rose tico says i love what she represents i love the line of you fight to save what you love not to stop what you hate or whatever the direct quote is but like it's it is the most star wars answer to anything and the fact that it got so much blamed on it is so frustrating because that is the entire point of the skywalker saga like it was everything it's what everyone seems to love that luke did he stopped fighting to save this person he loved. And then we we're mad that he was angry about it. But then a character says, well, we should say what we love and we hate her too. It's like, it's just like, it's listen to the, uh, I'm sure, you know, I mean, honestly, I think you are, uh, I think there is a level that, the first I have been, of the day. Like, <laughs> I have closed myself off to the world of that because, I just have never seen it. I've never experienced it, at least not as visually as some other people do. I don't know if it's because I'm not straight. I'm not like wrapped really until this last few years. I was like in a gay bubble. Everything in my life was I was working in locally owned gay businesses. I Everything was like in this little gay bubble. And not to say that it doesn't exist there because clearly it does. But I don't know if it exists in the same way as it does in the quote unquote real world. And I have now I no longer work in that. I work in a super liberal place, but it is like I work in the record industry now and the record industry is very straight. And Mm -hmm. I am now an other and I've never been an other before in my adult life. And it's this really interesting like I I'm supported. It's not, but you're just another, we're just another. And now, you know, which is the thing that Cara Dune's real life person does not like, but I do, I find it interesting that we meet her at this point too, where the only reason she said yes again was to take down the Imperials. It wasn't to help her newfound family. It was to like take them down. And here's this droid who is literally built to kill. <laughs> that is its only purpose of is to assassinate 
all those IG droids. And it has learned another way. He still is willing to kill anything. I mean, we see it. We see how badass that can be. But the motivation is what's different. And that was something she needed to learn, which I think, and, and it's what Din still needs to learn a little bit too. He's farther along in that journey than she is. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, and it is sad. I, I, I have said before that I don't see characters as the actors. I see the character. And I think this is the first time I'm being really challenged with that. Mm-hmm. And I started pre, I started this earlier with the announcement of Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka Tano. And she's, you know, in the middle of a lawsuit. I was centered around having very similar feelings. And this is, Everyone knows how much I adore Ahsoka Tano. Like she is my character, and to have someone like that playing her is going to be a really, really big challenge. So I feel like for the last year, even before Gina Carano's opened her stupid mouth, like I was already trying to process like how I'm going to like accept this person because to me, I don't want to look at at Rosario Dawson. I want to see Ahsoka because I know the writers behind Ahsoka are going to have something for me to say. And I know if I let those writers speak, she can help move my life forward just like she always has before. And I, I'm trying my best to be open to that as opposed to shutting off the door completely, which no one's choice and how they want to handle it is better or worse than the other one. But I'm just like, that's where I'm trying to go. And now that I'm rambling, Emma, how about for you? <laughs> I apologize. No, it's fine. Okay, so um, the overarching theme to this episode for me was loyalty. Like, the fact that Din doesn't have to respond to Grief's message. Like, yeah, okay, it sucks that that place is overrun by Imperials, and it's very tempting to take the um, the bounty off of him and the child, but like technically he doesn't have to do that. You know, he could just like, you know, jet off into the galaxy and, and find somewhere else to be. Um, and yet he has this sort of this, he feels this loyalty like to the family that he left behind on Navarro. Right. And so that's what draws him back, which I find really interesting in this landscape, because again, like I keep coming back to, like loyalty is an important principle in warrior society. So that would be a principle that was like personally important to Din, but like Mandalorian society, or at least the part of it that he was a part of is a shambles. And so it's like, there's this element of kind of the slow rebuilding or this like slow reconnection to something that had been weakened and taken apart. And we see the same theme again with IG, right? So it's like, can we trust IG-11 to be loyal? Can we trust that this reprogramming was fully successful and that there's not going to be some kind of a glitch and he's going to go haywire, you know? And so we just kind of have to, like, put our trust in that loyalty and in the efficacy of, of Quill's, you know, rehabilitation of IG. And then again, we see the same thing again with with Cara Dune. Like, you know, as we mentioned, like she's the foil, right? Because she doesn't have any loyalty. As has been mentioned, she's only there for vengeance. So we have this contrast of like these these characters having different interests, like on opposite sides of the same principle. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. And yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm curious since um, you brought up that loyalty point. And 
about um, the question that just came to my mind was how much is he returning to Navarro to check in on the covert versus actually like protecting the guild, so to speak, or the people Mm. in Navarro itself. Yeah. It's like where, where exactly what proportion of his loyalties are to the remnant of his, of his civilization that he belongs to and how much of it is to sort of the world at large or the greater good in the sense of the civilians yeah. that live in that town. Yeah. That's yeah do really we even one. think he knows yet Maybe at that not. point? You know, I'm not sure if he does now that you mentioned that there's definitely some heart and emotion there and, and Din's being changes when he sees that pile of helmets, like the entire energy of the episode shifts, it shifts dramatically and that's something that I think for me, Star Wars does better than anything else, which I think I've even mentioned in these roundtables. But Star Wars can get you to feel like you need to feel like more than other for me, more than anything else can possibly do. There's so much underneath what's said. There's the whole idea of masks and being when they are chosen to be taken off and when they're not. And they're, they can just put you in in this moment of how you need to feel. I mean, I think it's something that George really instilled in the prequels and they look and feel so different than the original trilogy, which I know there's still people that are upset about that, but like, you know, you are in a different time. People talk differently. Their cadence in their voice is different. The dialogue is different. Like it, you know, you, you're emotionally and physically in a different time. Uh, And it's really awesome because it doesn't need to, it's said without being said, and it's the emotion that gives you those cues. And I, it's something about Star Wars that I love, and it's what we've talked about of it not talking down to its audience. It doesn't talk down to children with those things. Like it puts you where you need it to be. And I think that that scene in this, like, just changed. It was different. It was just very different. Uh, Hope, how about for you? Um, wow, <laughs> there's so much to jump into <laughs> from like everybody. Um, to kind of touch on something that you were saying, Brian, about being the other and everything, um, I used to be a female manager of a comic book store. I have horror stories. Like, the women in my store needed a safe word because men would harass us. And I had a person look me Jesus. in the face and say, you're the manager here? And I was like, yes. He was like, you don't belong here. You need to quit your job. Uh, oh, hell yeah. No. Oh, I just <laughs> smiled and said, I can call security, you know? <laughs> But yeah, like, um, if Toby's not with us, but he used to be one of my employees at the comic book store and people would purposely misgender him, um, and not respect his, his, uh, pronouns. I mean, I have horror stories and yeah, it was one of the best jobs I ever had, but it came with its whole slew of misogyny. And when you work retail, it's not like if someone's harassing you, you can leave, you have to just stand there and take it, which is why I made a safe word for the mm-hmm. female employees that worked under me. So if they came up to me and they're like, I'm having salmon for dinner, I'd be like, okay, I'll take care of it. Um, and I would go put myself in front of them to protect my girls because I had to. And when you have people hitting on you and you, you're like, I'm not interested, I'm queer, that just shifts out even more because then the homophobia comes out in the comic store. <laughs> um, and it's like, well, you don't know what you're doing. You know, you're just, it's a phase. You're just saying that. So it's a whole slew of misogyny and sexism and homophobia when you're 
a female queer manager of a comic book star, <laughs> which is so yeah. yeah it gives you a thick skin though i will i will say that so like when i when i do see bullshit like like when i see these people constantly coming in and stuff like that you kind of get this perspective of they just don't have outside experiences so they don't know how to react to change and so they just go into like a fear and attacks instinct um which goes to nature versus nurture with both IG and Baby Yoda. You know, we're seeing two different kinds of nurturing. Um, someone who is inherently violent being shown a different way. Quill uh, kept saying patience. I had patience. I had patience, which is a very Jedi thing to say. Um, and having something that's been raised to attack things and reprogrammed to be so kind and tender and just, you know, it's the, like dupe the little Baby Yoda ears and just be like, and apologizing when things were too violent and stuff but then on the flip side you see baby yoda who i I think his past is going to be very interesting because he's the same age as anakin skywalker and who knows what he's seen in all this time and where has he been for all we know he could have been in a very violent place this whole time and he could and that din could be showing him his first kindness we don't actually know that or he could have just been living in like a cute little Jedi bubble that maybe like I don't know like Jacosta knew like saved him or something. Like we we don't know <laughs> that, and I think that's going to be a very interesting piece of his story. But just from what we can tell, he seems like he's very kind until he starts getting exposed to violence, and then these more violent tendencies are coming out. Which it, it's very interesting to see that kind of nature versus nurture um, with both of these both of these people. Um, and, and when it comes to Kara, I, it's, it's so hard watching Gina now because I like Kara as a character. I like that she's a complex, violent woman. I think there's a lot of good possibility for character growth there. Um, it, cause it does stun me when she looks right at Kuwil and she's just like, you're an Imperial. And he was like, I was a slave. There's a difference, honey. And she's like, no, yeah. same thing. <laughs> But we see that even over the course of the episode, she has that little bit of softening. But it's just so hard because I don't really want to see Kara anymore because of Gina. I don't I don't want to see her anymore. Yeah. But I was so excited for her character growth because I could see like a very awesome, clear path of where she could go and all the different directions and the different people she could become. And now it's all just ruined. Cause Gina opened her big bitchy mouth and I just want to eat her in the sun. And, you know, like, if yeah. we, we were talking yeah. about this last night in our group chat, and I was like, and if Gina actually apologized and put in the work and was clear about her forgiveness and really worked to make it better and made those strides, I would be open to reassessing her character and her and her as yeah. a person. But she hasn't done that. So it just really just pours sour milk on the whole thing. Sour the- Sour milk. Green milk. Yeah, sour pink milk. No sour pink milk in this. And yeah, it just. I mean, should we, to kind of post everybody, should we forgive actors if they do put in the work, or is that just more of a personal choice? Okay, so I have something to say about this. So I think that 
part of the problem with people like Gina is that one of the reasons why they don't put in the work and they don't apologize is because their homophobia and their transphobia comes from a place of needing to be right. So it's like that kind of precludes the humility that is required and like the authenticity and like the true connection to self and to humanity that is needed in order to do that work. You like just if you're the type of so person, many different people. <laughs> it's like honestly, like if you're the type of person who needs to believe that there's one right way to be a human being and that people who don't do that are garbage, then you're not gonna have the the humility or the insight that's required to make a real apology or to care enough or to have empathy enough to be able to connect to the humanity of someone like when, when you can't even see that humanity because being like not being able to see it is part of your identity. Right. Like there is a subset of people who are just like very, they're very authoritarian. They're very like might makes right. Or like if I've come out on top, it's cause I'm inherently superior and they don't recognize the role that like privilege plays in people's lives. Like they just choose not to see it. And rather than acknowledging that they have the life they have because they're lucky or by chance, like if they feel like they're entitled to be this, like they, they have these things because they're entitled to them or they are the right kind of person, then like there's just you, you unfortunately like as upsetting and sad as it is like there's no getting through to those people the time when those people change the change comes from them having life experiences and having to internalize experiences that um force them to rethink their identity but you can't that doesn't happen through words it only happens through actions i i think there's also yeah. like a bit of forgetting humility too because there's nothing wrong with people working hard, working their way up, and get, getting like wealth and popularity and success. There, that's that's not their criticism. It's also not forgetting your humility of where you come from and recognizing that you have that privilege as well. And like I, the world that Gina came from, and I I have a family member who's obsessed with wrestling and stuff. Like she came from MMA fighting. That's not an easy world, especially for a woman. Um, and yep. she probably worked yeah. her way up and yeah. forgot her, her humility and none of that is okay. I'm not justifying it. She turned into a bitch. No, I know. <laughs> no, but I understand what you're saying. Although, although in a way, sometimes that can be its own curse because Absolutely. when someone experiences oppression and they experience barriers and they're able to overcome them because, because uh, the star is aligned in a proper way, sometimes they, they can't they cling to that so hard that they think that that experience is universal. And, and they're I, like, well, I, think, I went through this and I went through that and I overcame it. So why can't you? And, and they I don't understand where, the like, uniqueness of their experience. I mean, that's a, a big problem with white privilege too. I mean, people are just like, well, I have issues too. So why should I and like not understanding the depths of that? Yeah. <laughs> like my mother. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, honestly, yeah. just oh, to... We have the same mother, then. <laughs> I mean, I'll Mark, share something here. Might be. I mean, I'll share something here that's not easy to share, but, like, when a few years ago, when 
when the white privilege stuff really started started getting the attention that it needed to get, I had my moment of like, what do you I've had a struggle my entire life. Like, what is and like I, I automatically went to that defensive, my arms were up. How dare you put this? I've seriously? And and that's I think that's okay. I think people have to do that. You almost in a way need to put a bubble around yourself to give yourself the headspace to process it. Now, what unfortunately happens far too often is that people one aren't willing to acknowledge that that was me i had my minute with it and i got to do some work to really dig into the stuff that i don't want to have to look at i don't want to have to admit this about myself i don't think there is and maybe we're rounding a different kind of corner at this very moment of a lot more people are acknowledging that in themselves and i feel like we as a society have also being more patient with people to walk back the line a bit and go, you know what? Okay, I will give them a minute of, of not me, not me. As long as that not me stops at like time number three, <laughs> maybe it is me. Um, because I do think that we all have built-in things. We've talked about it on this very roundtable of our own within our community. Wait, I don't. I have to, like there are all of us have to go through those life experiences. All of us have life experiences that we can either choose or choose to not allow us to move forward. And sometimes it's really hard to move forward. I do think sometimes for people in like our situations, it's easier in a way because we've had to do it for so long anyways. We've either done it externally with the public at large. We've had to do it intern. It's every day. All of us have talked. Every single day, it's a struggle. We're met with something, which we will talk about because thank you to all of these wonderful people here. This week, I had my moment, and I was broken, and I was just – I was really, really, really upset. And our new little family really pulled me through. And <laughs> I can't talk so I'll get emotional because I am telling you from the bottom of my heart <laughs> – I have never had that kind of support before. And we don't even really know each other. It has been a few weeks. Like it has really just been a few and never. I have been on my own forever, which has made me a very strong person. But at the same time, just like probably literally what we're talking about right now, Gina Carano has probably been through it with the life that she chose to get into. She has been through it. And maybe she's just tired. And I can, I can relate to that. I'm not excusing the behavior at all, but I am going to hold out hope <laughs> that maybe she's willing to do it. She's not showing any signs of it. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just feel like, I just feel like it comes from such a place of selfishness, of like inherent mm-hmm. selfishness, that yeah. for yeah. those types of people, change is very, very rare. Now, having said yep. that. I do like to speaking to what Hope posed to us earlier. Like, I do think that we should pay attention when people do have a change of heart, when they do change yep. their minds, and we should give them appreciation for that. Because, I mean, I'm not saying we should throw a parade or anything. And I do think that we should have, we should always give the message that like basic respect is the minimum required and no one's going to get cookies for that. But at the same time, like, as I just said, like, it does take humility, it does take work. And it's also something that as a society, we don't reward that. Like, if we like, we get to decide what qualities 
um, we value in people and what type of people we elevate as a society. Like that's a lot of the time people act as if that's like gravity. It's like a force of nature, but it's not. It's like we decide what the rules are. So if we decided tomorrow that we wanted a society that valued real apologies, humility, authenticity between people, like real connection and, and being able to trust each other, then we could build that society. As it is right now, what we value is success, being willing to step on other people in order to get what you want, you know, like being deceitful, you know, being self-interested. So those are the behaviors that we, if those are the behaviors that we reward, then we're going to continue to produce people that are like that. But it's yeah. all in our power. Like we get to choose. Isn't redemption it's, like one of the most know, important themes of Star Wars? Yep. Redemption. 100%. I mean, I might not always agree yeah. with how it's handled. Um, I think the television shows and animation handles it better. Um, I I think the movies are horrible at doing it because you get redeemed and then you die <laughs> multiple times. Um, and I think that's not <laughs> a good message. Um, it would have been a much more powerful message if, like, Ben was redeemed and then had to work for it. And it's okay if Poe doesn't, uh, po doesn't like his torture ever again. Like, you know... Um, you have to work for redemption, uh, but that is essentially what a theme of Star Wars is, and I think that's what we're seeing with why why I love the episode with like Sheon and Mayfield and all of them because we're seeing that Mando is working towards being a better person than what he used to be. And is he forgiven for all the people he's killed? No, there's. I would love to see some widow come up and be like, "You killed my husband." Um, and him having to address that. I think that'd be a really good, important step. To just bring up another another franchise, there was actually a really shocking turn in the new Assassin's Creed game. In the one that takes place in ancient Greece, there's one where you're actually confronted with all of the people that you've killed. Like, oh my. Yeah. yeah, not all of them, but like a, a certain group of them. And yeah. how you respond to that actually determines whether you have to like take place in this huge, like really heart-wrenching melee or if you get to walk away peacefully. But yeah, that's a good point. Like that, so just, I mean, I'm just bringing it up to show how like that could narratively be very, very interesting. Yeah, there's uh, The Last of Us 2, if it does anybody play that, that has some real, you wrestle with the idea of, who who are you like what do we consider to be somebody that is heroic or who what do we consider to be somebody that's evil or does evil things and what yeah. what happens when good people make bad decisions or bad people can sometimes make good decisions it really messes with those lines and forces you to feel things that i haven't felt in a video game ever um i've had yeah. very conflicted feelings about it but Emma, it goes to all of those points that you were just making. Um, yeah. Are, are we going to let Mark P talk now? Yeah, I was just going to say, so Mark P is still here. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, no, but I'm still listening. here, people. <laughs> I'm so, listening. And, and no, I, I love what everybody has obviously brought up regarding the subject, because it is hard with everything that has happened with Gina. I, I loved that character. I, I wanted to see what was going to happen. Now I don't care as much. Um, you know, unfortunately, like I, I think about like what Emma's saying, the humility and, and how sometimes, especially with age, because I can say that for myself, there was a time when 
even though I knew I was wrong, I would still fight it because I wanted to be right, even though I was being, you know, a complete a-hole. And when I learned some more humility and learned to accept that I can't always be right, and sometimes I have to just take a step back and be like, Mark, this is, you're not growing here. You're not, you know, this is not the right way to handle this. It's really hard to do that. You know, it took me a long while. And when I finally was okay with that, it just, it helped me grow so much as a person and accept things and be able to interact with people. And when I'm wrong, yeah, it sucks, but you know, you got to take your lumps. It's just part of being a human being. So, um, in de defense of the character, by the way, I'll have to say for Kara, I have to say that, um, we see some light in there in, in that character growth when she mentions, um, you know, going back to Omera, um, when she mentioned it, because you know, you because you could settle down with this beautiful woman. What are you doing? You know, like she sees that there's a life beyond what they are doing, um, and I can imagine that her losing her planet has hardened her. Now, the flip side of that is that Leia has also, being a prominent member of that planet's, you know, um, inner core, so to speak, um, has also lost that planet. But she focused all that anger. Um, and that despair into fighting back in a way that was for the greater good when she could have easily fallen to the dark side because of who her papa is. <laughs> so, you know, yep. there's that. Um, going back to Baby Yoda, I find it interesting that, like you folks are saying, that um, what we don't know about this character, it's interesting. It's like, well, how does the character know to force choke when we know mostly dark side characters tend to force choke? It's like, where did that come from? Right. Um, you know, the ability to be able to use and tap into the powers that that character has, it's like, well, who taught you this? Or did you automatically, is your race automatically known to be able to just tap into this inherently? You know how to do it, you know? So it brings up a lot of questions about where we're going to see this character go. Um, uh, the other thing with uh, with Din, um, I see his growth as well, too, because look at the way he started off treating droids. And then at one point, you know, IG points out, well, you're sad. And he goes, no, I'm not. And he goes, no, I can tell it in your voice. Yeah. You know, and it's like he's growing as well, too. Um, there's a lot going on there, you know. Um, obviously, since, you know, Baby Yoda had a lot to do with that. But this journey, uh, meeting Quill, seeing the IG droid, you know, change as well, too, makes him realize that, you know, everybody and their experiences. And when you you grow, you know, you just there, there's so many possibilities when you allow yourself to evolve. I think that a lot of that goes to the Mandalorians as well, because in episode three, when all the Mandos are coming out and they're fighting the guild members, um, he looks at the John Favreau one. He's like, we're going to have to move the coven. He was just like, well, that's life, buddy. <laughs> we So we move. <laughs> you just have to adapt to it. Um, I want to throw out somebody, Mark P, to your Leia and your Kara. Nash Windrider from Lost Stars is another Alderanian of how to handle trauma <sighs> in a completely different way. I want to know where he is. I Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I need to know where Nash is because <laughs> he went <laughs> Yeah. Oh that book. Oh, so, so, <laughs> I really hope that so Sienna are in from a certain point of view too. <laughs> like I need I, I need yes. Sienna in there 
so bad because yeah. we know Thane is yeah. on Hoth. Yeah. We know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like bring him in like in a little vignette, sort of like um, what was that one movie, the Linklater film that brought in the characters from Before Sunrise in like a little little drawn vignette, and it just like, was a little extension before we got the rest of the films. It was fantastic. Um, I mean, Waking Life, I think, Wedge, is what it was called. But yeah, yeah. I'd be happy if just Wedge was like, "Here, Thane, hold my coffee," and I'd be like, "Yeah, he's there." <laughs> So I want to ask a question of to Mark Marquis um, before we get too far away from Kara and then go into Baby Yoda because I think there's some stuff there. But Mark, you said I don't remember if it was last week's episode or the week prior, but we were talking about the internet and what all the hopes and dreams for the internet that we saw coming and how it could have brought people together and it could have done all of these things when when we were coming out and the internet was like a safe place for us, which is quite opposite now. Do you, do we think, I mean, is there still that possibility? Is there still that hope? I mean, you brought up the video game thing. I'm not a a gamer. So I, I remember reading about it, but you know, that game, I know, uh, I already forgot what you, this is us or the last of us or something. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about some of those bigger questions that it asked and it really brought a lot of conversation and that's what the internet and that's what Twitter can do is bring conversation. The, I call it the problem with Gina brought up a lot of conversation to people outside of our community. And it, I mean, well, I will mention the fundraiser again for the trans law. That was not just us who made that happen. That's a lot of right. other people. Um, that brought that in and we just lost Mark P. Um, he just sent a message. His computer crashed. So I'm sure he'll be back. Okay. But Mark, do you think is our dreams still out there? Do you think that as this younger generation, that the internet is a part of who they are, are they the ones to build a safe space in it again or a place to grow? Like it is now, the internet is now part of life. It is a part of our, our shared experience and it's not new anymore. Well, it's the younger generation that has given me so much hope. I mean, I have just, uh, you know, I think hope was mentioning in the chat about, you know, sort of watching how younger generations do sort of treat the, the, the idea of gender identity and the use of pronouns and that it's, there's there's such much there's much more of an enlightenment happening in younger people than happened with my generation at least that's how i view it and the the millennials and the zoomers make up they're the largest body in our population and i just have to think and hope that you know, what we're seeing right now with these sort of like with the news that came out about, uh, you know, the Supreme Court, Alito and Thomas, you know, wanting to roll back uh, gay marriage. That's just the last dying gasps of, you know, a, a system that is on its last legs. That doesn't mean that we should just sit back and go, oh, it's not, not going to be a big deal. It's nothing to fight. They're just dying out. Um, they're going to cause as much damage as they possibly can as they become more irrelevant. And it's up to us to step up and make sure that uh, it's, as, it's as big of a battle for them as it is for us. So we have to make it very difficult. And younger people are constantly surprising me and motivating me 
Um, one of the reasons why I'm very glad that I'm on social media is that I get to see those voices and hear those things. So even though the internet has come with some really bad uh, outcomes, it's just always this sort of give and take thing. Um, you can sort of say it about the Star Wars fandom. Like how many times have we just like been so exasperated by the discourse in Star Wars fandom and how exhausting it is and how frustrating it is. And yet we have these moments where we're all excited about something or we have a celebration and people go to celebration and they connect. And there are these wonderful moments that come through having a connection through social media that are undeniable. And maybe it's as simple as we have to take the bad with the good and hope and focus on the good and try to reject the bad. I don't know, but I just don't believe that it's an all or nothing thing that it's either all gone to hell or it's just wonderful. And we don't have anything, you know, we don't have any problems to work through. I'm rambling. So I don't even know what the question <laughs> was. To that, um, to, to add to that, actually, um, when you were saying a dying gasp of was going to cause as much damage as they can, you pretty much just described Moff Gideon and, where the empire is right yes. now like they're the dying gasp and they're mm -hmm. trying to hold on to mm -hmm. anything that they can um you mentioned what we had talked about um in in the group chat um this is where i get to sound creepy to join you brian um, <laughs> um because i study animation as my my format of how i write and stuff like that i actually follow a lot of much younger accounts which is why i get to see like how younger fans and stuff and I think there's something really special in media um, where a lot of the now queer writers and creators are have a firm place and stuff like Cartoon Network and um, in uh, what owns Star Wars? Disney. <laughs> Sorry, I just blinked on what Disney was. Um, they, like these writers and these creators are getting a more and more of a firm hold and we had been talking about how uh, the Supreme Court was threatening um, uh, 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 gay marriage and marriage equality and stuff like that. And I kept thinking back to another franchise, which is Steven Universe. Um, there's a moment in the Steven Universe movie, The whole it opens with this big musical number that they have this happily ever after. There's no more fighting. Everything's at peace. They fixed everything. And a new threat comes. And the movie ends with one of the characters looking at Steven going, what about your happily ever after? And Steven goes, there's no such thing as happily ever after. We'll always have work to do. And I'm just in here going, yeah. my, my, one of my yeah. favorite queer people, Rebecca Sugar, set up all these small young children to know that there's always a fight going forward in a cartoon. And I just think that's such a powerful thing. And to know that this is the kind of media that children are growing up with. Um, another franchise is the Owl House that I, uh, I watch. They show how propaganda can be so powerful um, and, and looking at these huge heavy topics. And I, it makes me actually really hopeful for the next generation because this is the content they're growing up with. And they're getting, these queer creators are setting them up. And it only makes me go, when will Star Wars join this? Um, when will Star Wars be able to do this? When are they going to join these frays and set these up? Because they're not, and it's not great. <laughs> I just rambled too, but basically, Was that what I'm saying, you... basically what I'm saying is the kids are all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I think. Mean... Oh, go ahead. No, you go, Ian. Go. Um, I think with the, you know, um, the ju- justices coming out and, um, you know, Mark, Mark, he mentioned, you know, it's like the last breaths of a dying breed, and I, I still think that. Um, in order to ensure the win from several years ago, I think um, we're still going to have to come together and, um, you know, to quote Jin from Rogue One, you know, uh, stand up and, and fight back. Because if we can teach the younger generations, you know, I'm part of the millennials, but if we can teach the zoom zoomers, uh, how to stand up and fight for themselves, it's just like a continuing phase of like ensuring that life gets better for the generation preceding us. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of, um, to me anyway, that's, that's sort of part of, um, our responsibility almost, um, in a sense with, um, moving in packs or herds, you know, you're only as, uh, fast and as strong and nimble as those in the rear. And we need to ensure that those in the rear, um, you know, aren't, aren't necessarily the weakest or or the youngest that can get picked off the easiest. Um, you know, we need to start bringing them up in the front. Um, you know, we need to, stick together to ensure our survival and relating it to the Mandalorian too. Um, this part of, uh, I don't think we necessarily need to establish a new covert or that we came out of our covert too quickly. Um, I think it's more of, we need to come out again stronger than before. I mean, um, Khalil, Khalil I says that to... no one will be free until the old ways are dead. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. And um, it's just, you know, I feel such a, a weird mix of emotions, or maybe not weird, but it's like sad, anger, anxious. Um, it's all these things. Um, and it's ultimately it comes down to just you know this uncomfortable sense of vulnerability and it's like why now again you know mm. um and uh yeah you know I, I and it doesn't it's not helping with people like Gina Carano being hired um Nope. It's you know it's not helping with um, um, uh, Rosario Dawson. Uh, I nope. you know even though she came out as part of the queer community as well, uh, you know I hope in my heart of hearts like it's it wasn't um, you know I hope. I'd like to hope anyway that um, she and her family didn't do anything wrong. 
Um, but that's only, only okay. time will tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the meantime, you know, it's not like you can't find any other actress of color to recast the role. It's, um, it just, it's one big circle. Cause then it goes back to Disney and what are, is Disney doing for the LGBTQ community? What is Disney doing to uh, represent the, the black indigenous and people of color community? Um, it's just, I don't know what the language barrier is here, but it's just fucking bullshit. And I'm just sick and tired of it. Um, It's things like, it's things like this that make me do lose hope uh, in a certain sense. It's things like this that make me distrust what I love. Um, uh, You know, especially when Disney came out denying uh, Finn and Poe the relationship that the actors played into. They played it queer. and uh, To the very end. And we got a two-second kiss and it's like they couldn't that even kiss leave was serious yeah it's it's they had they had to put an exclamation point on it and say yeah. oh yeah he used to have the... they created an, ent- they created it, it, an yeah. entire character with zori bliss just to show that poe at least one time you know liked a lady yep yeah yeah that that yeah. kiss was there to shut us up that's what like, it was there for with, shut um, up here you go it, 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 it makes me love john boyega that much more when he came out in the Black Lives Matter rally in England uh, and seeing him and hearing him speak, it was just like part of it. I don't know. um, You know, I'm sure he wasn't thinking it obviously when he was speaking it, but you know, part of it was just like a a big F you to Disney and other major corporations that just expect, um, um, you know, these uh, marginalized communities to just, what, sit back and take, no, you got, you know, when our lives, our freedoms are under attack, we need to stand up and fight back, you know, and again, connecting this to Rogue One, you know, uh, like with Cassian, some of us, since we were, before we were born, since we were little, you know, some of this has been uh, a fight for our lives from almost the very beginning. And, um, yep. yeah, some, yeah. you know, I thank you to, again, I just have to say thank you to all of you. Like, I don't want to sound like a cornball, but it's true. I've never had anyone before, you know, I, I've had Tom for 13 years and that's it. And as much as I love that and I love him with every fiber of my being, you know, sometimes you don't need that. You need another voice. You don't, you know, you just need another voice. And I have to say, to bring up the marriage thing, just in case some of our listeners are unaware, uh, Judge Thomas and Alioto are trying to get it back in the discourse of of society to take away the right of of marriage equality because it infringes on the religious freedom of other people. And I, I yeah, exactly in quotes. Thank you, Emma. Like I, I lost it on on. I guess it was Wednesday. Like I heard the news. I really held out hope for it to be brought up at the debates. And that's what 
you know, when we're recording this, the, the, the vice president debates were earlier this week and I held out hope. The truth of the matter is I don't trust my government. I haven't trusted my government for a very long time. I have not, I know this will make a lot of LGBTQ people probably upset. I have not voted for a major party in 15 years because I don't trust any of them. I felt like, and my, my lack of, I was held out hope. I understand a lot of people in this country are not super stoked for Joe Biden, but I feel a lot of excitement for Kamala Harris and I wanted to be on board. I wanted it. I want to like her more than I just want to see, to see uh, her on Saturday Night Live because uh, Maya Rudolph is great as, as Kamala Harris. And I want to like her more <laughs> than just to see her on Saturday Night Live. But I was just so disappointed that it wasn't even discussed and i'm like you know what you jerks eight years ago i was your writing ticket my equality was what mattered to you and you were going to poster use me up on your poster all day long to try to get my vote and now that you have it and this may or may not happen yet all of a sudden i don't count to you and i was just so disappointed and i know i'm not trying to speak for anybody but that's what i and so Wednesday came and I was broken. I was just lost. And I was so upset that here it is again. I felt no one cared about me. I just felt like everybody hated us again. And that's where I was left. And I was just like, everyone fucking. There we go. Ian broke it. Everyone I'm fucking sorry. hates us. <laughs> everybody hates us again. And no one's going to speak up. And I have to do it again. And for a minute, I just. And then I was thinking of Emma's voice of my own internal homophobia coming in. And I'm like, I just, I don't want to be gay. I don't want this anymore. I'm done. I don't want to be a gay dad. I just want to be a dad because now, you know what? Fuck you. I don't need you to like me. I don't care. I really, really don't. I am, I am hardened. I have been beaten down forever. I don't, you know, hope brought up in the comic book store if it gives you a tough skin you know i got a really tough skin and sometimes it sucks that i have this tough skin i wish i didn't but i do so i don't need you my husband doesn't need you we can figure this out we did it before we were together a long time before you said it was okay for me to be together but now i have kids and i am terrified of what will happen because if they tell me my marriage isn't valid how long is it going to be before they tell me that my adoption isn't valid? How long is it going to be that they're going to knock on my door? And I kept thinking of Watchmen and they knock on the door and they just fucking shoot you because you're a homosexual. They don't care. And how long is it going to be before they take them? Tom and I are not their biological parents. We got married for the sole purpose that there would not be a step parent and a parent because we were afraid what if somehow something happened and they came in and said well one of you's the real parent and one of you not we were trying to protect ourselves because we live in this world and i am broken i think a lot of us are broken i i have been there's a lot of self-worth issues i think with a lot of us in the lgbtq community because we're just told by everyone you don't matter and you can muster the strength up every day but sometimes the wrong day comes and you just i couldn't get up off the floor and i'm terrified what it would do to my kids they have seen which i will get back to i was going to bring this up with baby yoda but one of my children in particular has seen so much incredible violence And I am heartbroken because I have seen, I know the boy, the little four-year-old kid who came into my house and I saw what living a life of violence did to him. 
and I've seen how far he's come in the last two years, and I'm so incredibly proud of him. But it's still there. There are scars there that honestly will probably never go away. And it is now imprinted upon him, just like these things are probably imprinted on Baby Yoda. But I am terrified that if this happens and the government tells me that we can no longer be their parents, I don't know what the my children will not survive. I they have been through an ungodly amount of garbage. I, they have been in the trudges of society that should, I'm sorry, this will sound terrible, but those people should not fucking exist. The things that some of these people have done to my children, they should no longer exist. And I can't imagine what will happen if they take them away. And this is just step one. And yes, you know, I've, I've heard from so many people, well, it probably won't happen. We've been talking about Roe versus Wade for 40 years. Well, you know what? This has only been five years. This has not been that long. We had this very, on this very round table, we've talked about the younger people not even knowing it was a struggle. We are, and I've just felt this, I'm like, I am so hated that they will just silently take it away. And until it's taken away, is that what's going to finally get people to stand up and fight for me? Is that what it's going to take that it actually has to get lost for, before I have to fight for it again? And I'm just like, and you know, and Hope mentioned something, but I was reminded that there is a much younger generation out there and they do not think this way, but it is so ingrained in my head of how society is that the first place I go to is everyone hates me. And it's a very real thing. And I wish it wasn't there anymore, but I'm not sure if it ever can ever go away. I just, there's this mistrust that I have with as a blanket statement, society in general that I, and I wish I wasn't that way. And every day I work hard to not be there. And then the minute I let my guard down, there they are again. And I was just, I mean, I feel better than I did, but I was just, I was so like defeated. And I'm, t- I really am very scared for my kids. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going well, to happen. Part of it, like, just circles back to the environment that's been enabled by a certain particular group of people and a even particular person who's currently residing in the white house um because you know i think of brian your you know your story just now with your children and um you know one of our uh sisters from sisters with sabers you know mentioned um going to a park with her child and not feeling safe because there is a truck with the Trump flag. And it's like, you know, some of the marginalized groups in the United States don't feel safe to leave their homes. Like what kind of society is that? Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you guys tell yourselves that you're like a nation of freedom, right? Like that's your yep. brand. Is oh, that we're freedom? The freest, we're the biggest democracy. <laughs> yeah. blah, 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 blah. But you know, I think that, um, I think that this is kind of we've got this convergence going on at this point of history where like I don't have to worry about that stupid. So, yeah, so I don't (laughs) I don't have to care about that executive order about like sex and race stereotyping or whatever that that Trump put out. So I can just go ahead and say that, like, the United States was based on white supremacy. Like that's it was founded on and the genocide of the First Nations people. And if you. If you look at the founding documents, um, like the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, 
they're very like centered in authoritarianism and the idea of might makes right. And it's not to say that there are not like immensely principled human beings who believe in those documents and who try to abide by them in their lives, you know, like as lawmakers, as politicians, as lawyers. But I think we, I think it's time to reckon with the fact that those are elements that are woven into those documents, like the white supremacy and the oppression that are going to, because it's the root of the tree, the fruit of the tree is going to reflect those elements as well but at the same time you know we also have this burgeoning understanding about privilege about you know and we have a lot there are lots of people you know in the united states and elsewhere that are reckoning with the legacy of you know colonialism of white supremacy and they're coming to understand how these power dynamics work right so you're you have these conflicts between people who are living under and and whose lives are shaped by these principles that are inherently oppressive and some people are trying to become aware of the mechanisms that enforce those principles and you know some people are like a-okay with it you know like gina carano and other people are like no this is not okay and we need to change things like pedro pascal you know and so that's like i think that's where a lot of the sort of unrest and stuff is is coming from and i i think that it's inevitable that there be conflict at this time you know because we have these two differing principles that are coming to light can i just say real quick gina carano with uh with her name uh on twitter and then doing what she did with the pronouns that's literally i'm a high school teacher i have like freshmen 14 year olds who are like oh identify as a helicopter she's acting like a a child and it's just like ridiculous yeah, hey, Mark, Mark Marquis, I want you to jump in because I think you're going to have to, if you have anything to add, I want to make sure you have a minute to say something. Yeah, I, I, I was just I was just listening to you, you know, <clears throat> express what you're feeling and thinking that, um, you know, that takes an incredible amount of vulnerability to admit that. And I very much appreciate you sharing that Thank because you. I know that is not easy and my heart goes out to you. Um, I don't have children, but I know the kind of anxiety that I feel yeah. as somebody who's in a marriage that uh, could possibly be, you know, dissolved overnight. Um, I can only imagine what kind of, anxiety comes with also having to care for children. So my heart goes out to you. I just have to say that. Thank you. Um, relating it back to some of the things that we've discussed throughout these weeks about how we viewed in as having put on the armor is kind of like his expressing his queerness and this is who I am. And this is, I finally getting to express myself and my culture and who I am. Um, but also the wearing of the armor can sometimes represent an inability to be vulnerable. And as I was, as I was listening to you talk, I was, 
I was kind of confronted by my own feelings of not wanting to be vulnerable. Because when you would say things like, well, I felt like everyone hated us, you know, my reaction to that is not to disagree with you, but my reaction to that is who cares about the people who don't hate us? You know, it's to be angry. Um, I've been saying for a for several months and years that I'm seeing the direction that things are going. And when I get scared about where things are going, I then get angry. And I, I, I kind of go back and forth between should I be taking it seriously enough to really see the inherent danger in what's happening in our culture? Or do I just bow up and say, I'm going to fight it with everything I have and you're not going to take me down. And honestly, I don't know which one is more healthy, <laughs> but uh, I just know that having that armor at times helps me. And maybe sometimes it keeps me from being more in touch with the things, maybe the, the feelings that could help me move past the bitterness or past the self-destructive feelings. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I just know that I feel a lot of the same things that you feel. It's like I was saying last week. It's like the the helmet, it keeps people from shooting you in the head, but it also keeps people from kissing you on the cheek. Yeah. I mean, I... And there's so much about trying to be vulnerable to so much as well, because we almost have to pick and choose our battles um, of because there's just so much that we're all going through for in different things. And it's it's not just one thing. Um, I, I was actually talking with Emma last night um, about how I felt like I was a bit callous towards you, Brian. You weren't at all. First of all, let me say you were definitely not. I I know, but like I I have so much other stuff going on in my life that I was, I just, when I, it was like, I couldn't have one extra thing on my plate at the time. Um, Because I, hi, I'm poor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to survive. (laughs) I, I don't make a lot of money in my life and I'm just trying to survive and pay my bills. And sometimes when you have that like one extra thing, it's so hard to be like, how much more vulnerable can I be today? How many more of my mental spoons can I dish out? And sometimes you have to check out. Sometimes you just have to take a step back and just go, I can't fight this today. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's nothing wrong with taking a step back and, and letting other people fight. But I was telling Emma last night, I felt like I was a bad gay. I I did. I felt because I wasn't getting in on the conversation, I felt like I was being a bad queer person and a a bad friend. And because I just didn't have the mental spoons and I said, I know I can see you guys like shake your head. And she was very lovely to talk me through it last night. (laughs) But like, you know, and like that just goes back to like, you know, we're in a society where if we're not always fighting all the time, then we get shamed for it. Um, I, when I, I was talking with a friend of mine, when a lot of the black Lives matters movement was happening earlier this year, she's a person of color and she hadn't been saying a lot of stuff because she was just trying to survive COVID. And she got messages from people saying like, Oh, well your spe- your silence speaks volumes and trying to shame her into making a statement. And she's like, I live in New York City in the middle of COVID in March. I can't right now. <laughs> and I, I think there is, we, we have to be able to pick and choose our battles to not only <laughs> know when to be vulnerable, but also when to protect ourselves as well. We need to choose when to put on and take off our armor 
um, because we can't fight other battles. And sometimes yeah. we have to get our Avengers Assemble allies to help fight the battles for us on the times that we're down and we need an IG unit to give us some Bacta. One hundred percent. And Mark, I'm with you, especially as, as such the Star Wars fans that we are. Like I it's so funny. This is one of the things that like Tom and I are just I mean, yeah. he is my person and I love that I found him, but like he is a person of faith yeah. Yeah. and I am like the farthest thing from that. And when we first met, I think 13 years ago, I was such a like, you know, I'm here, I'm queer and I'm not going anywhere kind of person. Like I, I am very like that. I am just out and I am in a very outspoken person. I felt like I've needed to be, we've all needed to be to get where we are. I understand those things. And, and he had a much more, a much more difficult time with it than I, than I did, you know, he's has a very close knit family. They're all religious. There was a lot that came with it. I never disrespected. I was never mad. It wasn't any of, you know, everyone hope you've mentioned things like everyone has their own personal stories. And so to have these blanket statements of you're not doing enough is such garbage. Like, it, you know, that's, that's coming from a place of privilege. Like you're privileged to be in this part of the country that you can go out and march. You know, it's, it's, that is not our business to share. Our business is to try to support each other in any way that we can. But you know, it's funny now, 13 years later here, I'm, I'm like a mess. I'm scared. I've, I'm super anxious. All of this stuff going on in the world isn't helping any of this either, you know, but here, and you know, here's Tom. And this is where I wish I had that, faith i wish i had it because he's like you know we're going to be okay and and he's like sometimes the the thing that ha to have faith is sometimes you know it might be silly to pull the to pull it over you but it still keeps you warm and at this moment he's like i need that to keep me warm and it was just a beautiful thing to hear i need to hear it yeah. and you know i don't have faith in some higher power out there the same way a lot of people do but at least I have faith in my husband and that like gave me this like moment of you know and I just I was so grateful for it in that moment and there's guilt attached of again like I said I didn't want to be a gay dad I just want to be a dad and I know that's probably the wrong thing to say and all those things but I'm like you know there is guilt. What if, you know, I, I have in the back of my head, what if this happens? What if they're taken away? Here they are. They've suffered so much because they have gay dads. They're now, their life is, you know, I, I accept the responsibility that I put three children into a world that is not always welcoming to everyone else. And that's a, a burden I have to bear. That was a choice they did not ask for. They did not get a say in where they were going to go. And I understand that it will not always be easy for them. They've already been made fun of on the playground for having two dads. And, you know, that I, I put that on them and that is not easy. Um, no, and, no they're, they're just happy to be loved. Well, no, yeah. no, like, no, not at all. Like my, I took no. my my sister uh, took in my nephew Edward, and um, it's very difficult to talk about him because he died back in February. Um, <laughs> but like, he came from a horrible family, and it like in a very abusive family, and he was only part of our family for four years, and that was the best four years of his life because he, we loved him. He was actually in a place of love and safety and even if he had to put up with like being the only uh one in our family that like looked truly different from the rest of us he just knew he was safe and he was happy that someone loved him no, no, so yeah is it gonna be him. difficult for yeah, your kids I mean, yes but 
Yeah. Your love is going to be what gets them through because they know that they have you guys. They can, they, they can, all the other kids can fuck off because they know that they have people who yeah. love them and will protect them. And that's what's really important to them at the end of the day. Love always does win. Um, that is the most important message mm-hmm. here. Um, and you know what? It will help them build their own Mando armor um, for them to be stronger people to, and, we have to, I think it was Mark P that said, uh, we have to take our knocks to be bigger, stronger people. And yeah. you, you can't throw that on you because at the end of the day, they're just happy to have two parents that love them mm. and is protecting them and keeping them safe. And that's what they care. They can, they'll take teasing, but they're happy that you're there and that you love them. And they can feel that and they can see that as, as being an aunt <laughs> of somebody who was taken in by our family. Thank you. Yeah. And, you you know, life, everybody's life has challenges. Like even if they had been given to a different family, they would have, they would have challenges in that, in that setting too. They would just be different ones, but life being challenging is what makes it rewarding and valuable. Right. Because those are the things like things that come easy are just not, they're not as, as satisfying as the things that we Mm -hmm. have to work for. And life is inherently it's inherently a struggle, but that's but it's also full of so many things that are wor- worth struggling for, right? 100%, and, as Hope, yep. and as Hope pointed out, like you, like there's there's a hierarchy of needs, and your boys need a stable home of people who love them, who give them boundaries, mm-hmm. who give them security, and who accept them no matter what, and who have a lot to teach them about life. Yep. Like your boys have everything that they need. You know, they have this place of safety and whatever else you can give them on top of that is just gravy. So, you know, like it's they, they're your your boys have a perfect family in you. They have Thank they have you. everything they need, you Thank know, you. and it's going to be great. And, and in a way, like, you know, being part of your family is going to teach them things about life. Having two dads is teaching them things that they wouldn't have learned otherwise. And it's going to make them stronger, better people that have, you know, skills to tackle the challenges that life brings. They're going to have more love and empathy of seeing what you guys had to overcome just to love them. Um, they're going to have much more empathy. What about you, Mark Marquis? No, I'm just, I, I'm, I hate the <laughs> fact that I have to leave because... <laughs> Thank you. you guys are just i love you guys so much y'all are amazing i love you too you really are we love we you do. um you know i hate i hate the thank you i hate that the boys couldn't join us and i hate that scott wasn't here but uh i just get enjoyed getting to know everybody and the perspectives that are shared here um even you know i'm i'm so hopeful that there are people that are there are heterosexual yep. and cis people that listen to this podcast because i really want people to understand that a lot of the things that we go through are internalized feelings that other people don't go through <laughs> you know it's just there's a certain degree of like privilege of like heterosexual privilege that people don't think about their children being taken away from them because, you know, because they're not, you know, a traditional marriage or they they don't think about people feeling, they don't never feel like they're the out person or the the, the outsider when they go into a situation where everybody's straight and then you're the only person talking about your same sex partner. 
I, I just I think this podcast was important because even though we're here to talk about Star Wars, Star Wars is ultimately about the human condition. And mm-hmm. we have bared our souls here. <laughs> and there's nothing more Star Wars than people coming together and saying, you know, we we're we're fighting a fight together. Um and if you can't see the LGBTQ plus community in yep. Star Wars, then you're not looking hard. That's so beautiful. Amen. That's all yeah. I have to say. Thank you. And thank you for, I mean, thank you to all of you. I never in a million years thought that I would get a group of people who would be so open and honest. And it's been a real gift, not only to me, but to the listeners out there. I mean, honestly, just real quick before you go, Mark, I had posted I on my on my Thursday, Wednesday of upsetness. Uh, a long thread that probably didn't make any sense that I deleted five times, but didn't delete all of it. Cause I don't know how to do Twitter. I don't know. Like I was so upset and I posted it and we lost people. And I was like, Are, mm-hmm. like, it wasn't necessarily a ton, but it doesn't take a ton to get noticed. Indeed. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how much more gay does this show need to get? It's like literally <laughs> everywhere. Like, I, like, I don't understand how you would have either, even if they're just followers and they don't listen. Like, again, my Twitter is like probably 60% Star Wars and 40% gayness of some sort of level. Like, it's like, and you're going to unfollow me now, now because it's inconvenient for you to read what you might, might not want to read. Like, I was like, all right. And I was. Yeah, I saw that, and I I saw that, and I wanted to post a response to that. It's like just just so that anyone else out there who doesn't know or has some is maybe under some illusion that I am something other than I'm not. I am G A A A A A Y gay. So if you have a problem with that, you probably need to unfollow me now. And it's just ridiculous that you have to continue yep. to say that. You know, and yeah, exactly. But, you know, I have to say what made me really happy was that got, you know, the attention that it got. And then my follow up of really we're losing people. And it was that got more attention. And I was like, you know what? This is a little bit of faith. Like the ones that were the jerks and the negative aspect of it got least attention than the positive one. And that made it, it too gave me hope. I was like, you know what? Thank you. Brian, and thank you for, and just think of it as a house cleaning. It's just a house cleaning. <laughs> you take it, it's taking out the garbage. A hundred percent. Yeah, and since we yep. already put the barrier, fuck them. A <laughs> hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. All right, Mark Marquis, we love you. We appreciate you, and I'm sure this will not be the last time you're at our we table. Love you. No, it will not be. Oh, no, no, no. My anniversary is not today. It's Wednesday, the day this comes out. So in the future, listeners, Tom and I are celebrating 13 years together on Wednesday. And I'm 
is I love him more than I did the day I met him, and I am very grateful. So, Thomas, when you're listening, I love you very much. Thank you for making me a better person. Thank you for being a great daddy, and thank you for being you and all the things that you give to all of your family. We love you. Anyways, with that. <laughs> and I, I also in the group I, You and me both. <laughs> I'm like, right. I was like, are we still talking about the same thing? (laughs) (laughs) One of Brian's quick side stories. (laughs) Thank you, Hope. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) The most important thing. I was 35. (laughs) Yeah. I was 35 and I was at a bar (laughs) with a friend and some young kid came up and said, hey, daddy. And I was like. Okay, one, I'm too young for that business, so we're good. We're good. Thanks a lot. (laughs) And then then I became a dad, and I'm like, oh, God, like, I don't even know how. This is too many, two very different worlds getting mixed together, and what the hell do I do with this? This is so... Because now you call me a daddy, I'm going to be there for, but I'm also, oh, God, no, this is, no. Exactly. This is so like, weird. What's the context? <laughs> yeah. Under which context am I daddy right now? What I still don't know what a zaddy is, but I think that means I am definitely not a zaddy. <laughs> oh, no, you are. Okay. <laughs> so we've been talking so. about lots of things that are not Star Wars, and I'm sure this conversation will continue to go to lots of things that are not Star Wars, but I want to... Um, transition with ig11 because i think he's such an incredibly important character and at this we are now going to go into chapter eight so our dear friend kawil is no longer with us even though i wonder if possibly he may be bluey at some point in time that's just me hypothesizing and maybe willing it to the force uh that we will see them again as a bluey um emma's shaking her head but i'm holding out hope that maybe we will uh a little blue guy? Yes. A blue one? Oh, a force ghost. Okay. Hope knows. Oh, Hope knows why. Thinking. Hope knows why Quill can't be a force ghost. Do I? <laughs> yes, you do. Yes. And yeah, Wars. he may not have been anyway, taught. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so Hope, you are a token. Like, this is... So, again, group chat. I was... I was I so proud of Emma yesterday. Things, like, not that she is not brilliant with all things Star Wars, but she like pulled out this deep cut from the Clone Wars. I was like, oh my god, I'm reading a thing. I just wrongly so clearly assuming that it's hope because it's an animation thing. I'm like, oh, here we go. And then I was like, oh, Emma, I am so proud of you. I was like, yes, oh, because I am, you know, I I love Clone Wars more than anything. Emma subtly pulls like these very eloquent like. Mm-hmm pulls these like subtly eloquent uh concepts and stuff breaks them down perfectly yeah and then follows with this cute little giggle and you're like oh mm-hmm. okay there is so much complexity to that cute little <laughs> giggle there we go <laughs> yeah so yeah. so we've been talking about um uh being seen and that's a big part of our community we've talked about uh, our our parents seeing us, our friends, or whatever, and just seeing each other. And one of the things that I love that we're about to get into with Chapter 8 um, is I think Baby Yoda is the only one who sees IG. And, you know, we're led at the end of Chapter 7 where there was a great build of can we trust IG? You know, Emma was talking about this earlier. Do we have faith in Quill's abilities that he reprogrammed him? All we see is Quill dead on the ground and... You know, there's this fear 
that it was IG who was pulling the triggers to still go after and get his bounty and finish what where his journey had started with us. At least for me, it was. And I was like, oh, please don't, please don't be him. Please don't be him. We all saw that, 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 uh, uh, um, oh my God. Oh, geez. The, uh, Blurg running up and we I think we knew what was going to happen with Quill. like it was coming it was coming and I just didn't want it to be IG that's where I was so we find out it's these jerk speeder bikes which I'm gonna let Hope get to because I know she's gonna have such good things to say about this I was having a hard time getting past my Saturday Night Live boyfriend being one of them because Jason's Vegas I have a gigantic crush on Mm -hmm. and I was like don't do this Dude, don't be a jerk. Like, oh, come on. You do the cute little robot dance on the Saturday Live skit. Like, oh, no. Anyways, he was a jerk. But Baby Yoda is there with IG. You know, IG goes out to get him. And Baby Yoda is just here for it. And to bring this into, this is going to be the worst transition in the world, but uh, about being seen. And like, I at least one character up until we get a little farther on, one character sees IG-11 for who they are. And what they stand for. And it's that innate ability that children have to just to read a person. They see their aura. They don't see the words coming out of their mouth. They don't see the history that came with them. They don't see who they love. They don't see those things. They can read the aura of a person usually really quickly. Like a little kid knows who's good and bad. Like like lickety split. It is, it is the human condition that you need to be able to do that to survive. But I had to take our youngest son... Michael to to the doctor uh, earlier this week, and he has ongoing appointments. And usually, Tom is the parent to take him. And I show up, and you know, Michael's cracking. My son is like the most adorable thing on the planet. And we walk up to the front desk, and they all know him. And he's like, "Oh, this is my other daddy, Brian. My dad, Tommy, couldn't come and take me today, so it's okay that he's here. I know you don't know who he is, but it's he's my dad, and it's fine." And they were cracking up. And then we get, you know, we go to the waiting room and we sit in 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 the room, and his his little speech therapist lady was giving me paperwork from the previous week to go over some things. And she's like, well, when you get back to dad, and I was like, oh, I'm daddy number two. So I'm sure I can relay the message. And there was the most, uh, 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 the awkward, like 15 <laughs> seconds of, I do not compute. I do not compute. And, and Michael, there's Michael again. Imagine the speech therapist not being able to talk. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have fa- great confidence in you. Well played, that was good. Oh, that's awesome. But here's Michael again. Oh, yeah, no, he's my daddy too. I have two dads. And she's like, okay. And we had mentioned, we were just talking about, you know, there are things that LGBTQ people have to go through that just other people do not have to go through. I lived for that moment. I think those moments are effing hilarious. Like, it is just really awkward. I'm a jerk because I certainly don't try to make it any more awkward. I just sit there and look cute and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, just, just, I just hold it for a minute because it cracks me up. <laughs> and, and anyway, we all pulled it together and she's wonderful and she's doing great work and Michael loves her, blah, blah, blah. But that is the, the adults. They see a child and they see one parent who's a father. And the assumption is there is a lady at home on the other side right that is how we, and and i came in and introduced a different variable that was just took a minute to compute and 
I'm not blaming people for those things. That, that that's where we're at in the society. Seeing seeing you know same sex parents is not super common, and so it will just take time for that to become the norm. I think, and I'm cool. Like I'm you know it, it stinks, but it, it, that's where we're at. Um, but I I have to say. I love that baby Yoda just sees IG and we had mentioned at the top of the show that he IG 11 is an assassin droid. That is what they are built to do. And yes, now his job is to nurse and protect, which is just effing hilarious. Um, there will be no more cursing on this back half of pink milk. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, and here we are, we see the two worlds coming together as, as he, takes baby Yoda away from these jerk stormtroopers and very violently kills them like that. I don't, we have never seen that kind of violence in live action Star Wars. We may have seen it in the clone wars once or twice, but like, I didn't even know about that. It was really violent. I was like, Ooh, this is okay. They really, this is who he is. And he straps baby Yoda on and he is on a murder mission with a baby on his belt. And it is really the two marriages, but at the same time as all the killings going on, here's baby Yoda and we can talk about the violence. And he's just got a smile on his face because his nurse is here to keep him safe. And, um, I think, yeah. you know, now our characters are also now seeing IG for who he is. I'm sure there is a moment that all of us have had a person in our life finally see us for who we are, regardless of what their intent was or not. We've been talking about sometimes, People may or may not try to say the right thing by, well, I don't see this. I don't I just see a person. But that's easy for you to say because you are not us. And I think one of the things we I I talked about the top uh, Wednesday hitting me so hard and feeling hated by people, which, you know, I hope that isn't out there. And uh, I will put in the title of this show. This is like the gayest episode of Pink Milk. So if you don't like the gays, don't listen. Uh, But. I think one of the things that we (laughs) – it's hard for us sometimes is we are everyone. We've talked about that. I think it was our second episode together. I like what does it mean? What is gay culture? When a culture is built of everyone from everywhere, what is uniquely ours? And it's a very difficult question I think to answer. I I personally don't know what that answer is outside of some, you know, insignificant things that really don't mean anything. But – it's a hard question and I, I feel, and maybe this is what I was mentioning earlier of it's my own history and it's my own hardened shell that it has an inability to move forward because I'm still stuck in coming out in 1990, whatever it was. But I feel it's hard sometimes to find allies because we will always and forever always be an other and we look like everyone. So it's very easy for someone to say, I got you. And I will stand up for you and I will support you until we all get in public together. And sometimes it is very, those voices get silenced real quick because I'm going to say behind a closed door, I'm here for you and I'm your ally, but they don't want to be pegged as us. So they don't want to outwardly support us because they don't want to be seen as gay. They don't want to be seen as trans. They don't want to be seen as something. And so as much as they say they're here to be our ally, we're still another. And yes, I got you, but I certainly don't want to be you. And it's, it makes it really hard. And I, and that's where society in general has to step up. And maybe it has, and this is where, this is my question. Like, 
when you're seen by people, what does that mean for each one of us? So Hope, I know you want to add something. I just wanted to say you pretty much oh. described Disney as a company. Um, on the surface, they want to seem like they're our allies, but then they do these kind of behind-the-scenes things that go against us, like giving us a tiny kiss and trust that can be easily edited out, and it was edited out for other countries. Um, that You pretty much just described them. Um, I was forming Yeah, up, no, like, like how <laughs> how is it for each of us put ourselves in IG's shoes for a minute and we are now baby Yoda. Like IG had to have felt or we're IG and, and we've been given baby Yoda who sees us for who we really are. Um, like, what is that like for IG? Because we know what's going to happen at the end of this episode. And again, I don't think if, if baby Yoda didn't see him, if Din didn't remove his helmet and face what he had to face because Din stopped seeing a droid, he saw a person who, you know, he saw an, an ally and IG was able to make the ultimate sacrifice at the end because he had finally been seen by all these people as someone other than just a hardened shell that was on the surface. And he was able to do that. But I think, I think if these characters in the show hadn't seen him, I don't know if he would have been able to do that ultimate sacrifice because maybe he wouldn't have ever felt worthy. And I'm sure all of us have not felt worthy enough. We've just, we've talked about it multiple times on this very round table of having moments of not feeling worthy. Um, and it's a, it's a real struggle. Yeah. So, yeah. So the question and is, what the, is it like to be seen? Long answer made quick. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, was actually very lucky. I have this lovely friend group of three of my very best friends, and we're so lucky that all of us are queer. One is my ex, one is my best friend, and the other one is currently married to a lovely wife. And so actually being able to grow up with these three friends um, and grow up queer together has been probably one of the best places because no matter what I could always go back to a safe spot um, no matter what the world threw at me um, I could always fall back on Billy Kate and Megan they're my three bestest best friends and they mean everything to me and we are such a good fan group a friend group together because we have this unwavering support for each other um, and having that space where people always got to see me it didn't it actually it opens this avenue of it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if I'm queer because we're all queer so people are then just seeing me like these three friends see me just as a person because they're queer too so they can just see me as hope and it doesn't matter <laughs> um the only time it ever really came up was at gay, Kate's wedding and like somebody was like oh you're going to a gay wedding I'm like <laughs> yeah I am. <laughs> what of it? And they just had that little computer of like, oh, it's nothing. It's fine. It's like, yeah, I'm going to get drunk <laughs> at a gay wedding. Let's go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost it's so nice because when people outside of my, my queer friend group, when people actually do see you, it it's almost like a nice warm blanket that comes over you because like you feel safe. You know, you you feel supported. It's my brain just said it's like a bra that supports you, <laughs> like the perfect bra. Um, 
and that like holds you up and like keeps you steady and <laughs> no and, wire you know, <laughs> you know not, not even with a wire i mean cause it's, it's not there to cut into you it's there just to be comfortable and to hold you up and you you just feel so empowered with the perfect bra <laughs> But I mean that seriously. Beautiful. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, but like you you just feel like you're in a place where you can conquer the world no matter what because you have that support um there to to (laughs) you feel like you can conquer the world. Because you have that structure to hold hold you, you know, because people see you as a Someone else talk, please. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. So, <laughs> Man, Tom, Mark, you're mad missing the good stuff today. <laughs> so my experience is very similar to yours. I also have, I'm part of a, a triad of, I have two best friends that I've known since childhood. Uh, we have a Zoom call every Wednesday night. We get together and video chat from 8.30 till 11. And I can tell them anything. We have been through so much together. Um, (laughs) um, But uh, no, they're like, they're my absolute best friends in the whole world. They love me no matter what. Um, And yeah, they see me completely. I can text them anything. Like they know intimate details about my body. Like they know everything. Um, and to be seen that way, um, one of them actually wrote a poem about our friendship one time. And they, they, some of the lines of the poem were to be seen beyond normal close up. And it reminds me of like, that's what friendship is like that real intimacy. Um, and it's a true, it's a gift. It's a gift in life. But outside of that relationship, I feel like being seen in the greater world, I feel like that happens to me when people trust me to love them and to offer like support and acceptance and to make themselves vulnerable in my presence. That to me is like, that's what life is about. And I feel like when that happens, I feel like I've been seen because people understand that I am a safe person. And I feel like I've done a lot of work to, um, I've done a lot of work to be able to talk about emotions and to be reciprocally vulnerable and also to be able to come to people that are having issues and talk to them in a way that is helpful to them. Um, and that meets them where they are. So to have an opportunity to have those exchanges and in a way it's just a, it's a chance for me to use the skills that I spent my life building. And that's what being seen is to me. I think that's also so important too, because so often in media, queer people are portrayed as predators, you know, we're portrayed as creeps and perverts and stuff. So yeah, like when, when I have people just come to me and trust me, knowing that I'm queer, it, yeah, it, it's, it means so much because they see me as a safe person. I think yeah. it's a very good point. Mark P. So for me being seen, obviously with the friends that I've had throughout my life, I've been very lucky 
that I've had um, the support that I've needed, you know, um, work life has gotten better in that sense because now I think I work with more gay people than I ever have. And we're so free amongst each other and able to support each other mm -hmm. that I can be myself at work. You know, um, I think back to like a, a friend of mine, Karen said, I think one of the hardest things that we have to deal with as we go through life, um, is the fact that we have to constantly keep coming out to people because they assume we're hetero, you know, um, that, and now I'm, I'm learning to appreciate that more, you know, um, because I think part of my own inner battle has been me. I, I used to feel when I was, you know, when I was younger that, Oh, I, you know, should I come out to this person? Um, like I needed, like I, I, like I, I needed to, how can I say this? I didn't want to offend somebody nope. by being my real self. Like I wasn't allowing myself to do that. And it's like, wait a minute. No, I have every right to be myself. If somebody gets offended by that, you know, that's on them. Um, so learning Welcome. to let that go and allowing myself to be myself because um, I, I need to be able to give myself that, that, that space to be, you know, open um, and, and be free and not hold my own self back because, you know, while we let others do that, family members or whoever who, you know, we go to family gatherings, they say, well, you guys are not going to kiss in front of everybody, are you? It's like, you wouldn't ask that of your hetero family members, would you? So, you know, I, I felt like I always needed to ask for permission to be myself, but I no longer do that. I am myself. And it's been one of the hardest lessons, I think, that it, I, I've had the hardest time with just allowing myself to do that. That's really So awesome. it, it starts with me. And then I put, you know, and and then I make it go out. You know, I, I've, so, I think a lot of us have probably been there. Like I just assume, I guess I live my life just assuming everyone knows. I think it's pretty obvious and whatever it is, you know, like I don't, I don't know. I just assume everybody knows. And there's these, these moments. I know somebody who I work with again, they're a wonderful person. I'm sure they didn't mean anything by it, but I think we worked together for like seven or eight months or something. It was a good, like a good amount of time. And I had mentioned Tom and he's like, hey, who's, is this, who's your best friend? I don't know. I'm like, Oh no, that's my partner. We weren't married at the time. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's my partner. And, and again, they're does not compute. does not come, like moment all over their face. And they're like, Oh, I had no idea. I just had no idea. <laughs> exactly. It's like Kaiser. So yeah. all of a sudden and it, it all was just like, comes together. I had no idea. I mean, I've never met a gay person that's like you. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like me? And he's, yeah, it's that Sarah yeah, Paul exactly. Gift, and he's, and I'm like, gift. what do you mean? He's like, well, you're just like so normal. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and again, like I'm telling you, this person did not mean the way it came out. But this is some of the stuff. I'm like, but this is the garbage we have to deal with. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. okay, so now I'm not normal. Yeah. Is that is that so that that's the next step? So now yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. I went from being like you <laughs> because I look like you because here we are, two white dudes in our forties or whatever, you know, like. But now I'm another, and it's this weird, like I, it's just, yeah. it's this weird thing of. And that's the struggle of coming out. And that's where some of our straight allies at times in quotes again, like we can, we can hide it if we need to. Like, you don't have to be that gay. You don't have to be this. Like when I remember when I was coming out, my mom's like, well, why are you, yep. why all of a sudden you have your wrists down and you're doing all, I'm like, 
I don't know. I'm just like, and you know, I was 18 at the time. Like, I don't have any language to like counteract that, but I was just like, I'm just like, and we've had conversations since. And I, and she's like, but yeah, I, well, you were just go, going through this phase of, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm trying to find myself, which I've had, I'm like, mom, you don't understand. Like it, it was hard. Like for me specifically, it was hard to like, see myself because I felt at that point in my life that maybe that's how I needed to act because I was short and really skinny and I was young. And in order for someone to see me, that's how I had to act. Because if I went on to this side, I was why. And at the time I remember coming out, which we've talked about online was a big deal. And there's this, there was this straight acting.com that was so like you met someone on AOL. What was your straight acting score? And I, do you remember this, Mark? No. Oh. It was the most detrimental, no. like, it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. And I just remember at the time, my name, my AOL handle was Tory Boy with two Y's. <laughs> but I was trying to, like, be. <laughs> mine was Jedi Boy. <laughs> That's much cooler than mine. Well, no, Tori Amos is pretty damn cool. So Tory Boy is still good. Um, but, like. Yep. I it was this it was so damaging because then I found myself lying and then all of a sudden you'd meet someone and they're like, oh, we're just too gay for me. And I remember I was like, it was one, two punches all the time. And I remember once I finally went out and met somebody and I guess I was 18 or 19 at the time. And I want to say they were in their late 20s or early 30s or something. And they're just like, you're just too gay for me. And I, we were in the middle of a, uh, of a coffee shop, like a big, and I was just, and I lost, I was like, are you kidding me? Like here you are, you're like, uh, whatever, you're in your thirties and you're out here embarrassed to be seen next to me. But like, you want to get with this because you've got some weird, creepy thing going on with some young kid. But this 18-year-old is more comfortable being who they are, and you're going to punish me because you're sitting here embarrassed to be seen next to me. And I stood up. I said, hey, everybody, just so you know, we're gay and we're on a date. And he's a jerk and I'm leaving. And I walked out of the thing because I was like, how fucking dare you? Like, like nice. And Very I'm sorry. Nice. You know, I was just like, but it, yeah. it also changed in that moment. I'm like, well, I've got to figure this out because doing these other things to make myself appear more femme to – appease the gay people who are telling me that I'm not gay enough for them because I am short and skinny. And this is, this is, this is the corner. You're a twink and this is how you need to behave. I'm 18. I'm at a gay bar for the first time. I'm going to listen to these people. And that's, but that also, I wasn't being true to myself then either. And I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong. If you're fam over, that's not remotely what I'm saying, but I, I didn't also need to pretend to be fit another role that I just wasn't in. I was over here and this is how I choose. This is just me. And yes, I'm gay, but gay can look like a lot of other things. I remember it hit me at a certain time. Yeah. What, Mark, what are you? I just no. you made me think a lot about how um, going back to how seeing, how, you know, I felt like I needed to be given permission to be myself amongst people because I didn't want to offend. And then I would hide or I would butch it up or I would act a certain yep. way to be able to pass, you know. Um, and then I would get upset and jealous when I would see people who were open and everybody was like in love with them and they just wanted to be around them. And then I'm like, yeah. you know, oh, I want that too. But then I'm sitting here doing my best to hide it as well. And it was just completely frustrating. It's like, 
I need to find a better way to express myself. I need to find a better way to do this because this is not working for me. And I shouldn't have to put myself through this because I'm doing it to myself. I'm letting all these other people, you know, like I said, I'm asking for permission to be myself. And it's like, this has got to be reworked. It took time. And, you know, it's different now. And I'm very, very thankful for it. But it went on for too long. And, you know, that makes me angry now that I think yeah. about it. But, you know, it's I interesting talking about that because, like, I feel like I'm there again <laughs> oh. in some ways. So, like, three years ago, we moved to the suburbs to oh. raise a family. Like, that's what people do. You know, I yeah. um, we're lucky enough to, you know, have things. And we live right across the street from a beautiful park so my kids can go out and play and they can, you know, give them a life. Right. And we came in as the token gays. And there was a lot of the moms all of a sudden somehow gravitated to me, which is wonderful and great. And I know I went on a few play dates, which all that was new. I'm like a play date. Like, okay, okay. And I remember just processing being a new parent anyways that wait, in order for your kid to come, you have to like stay in the house. And now I have to like entertain a parent. Okay. Okay. Well, I thought, I thought you just went next door to your neighbor's house to play, but you know, I'm learning. And I know like there was a while where a lot of these certain house mo- housewives and moms, I was going to be their new gay BFF. Like we were on the real housewives of Orange County together. And yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, that's the sassy gay friend. And, I'm, and all of a sudden they were taught like they, I, and this is like, you're trying to be supportive. I guarantee you all these people, I'm an ally. I'm an ally. I support you. Let's go shopping. What do you think of this hair? Do you like the, literally, this is like how they introduce themselves. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know about any of these things. Like I, I mean, I show up in like flip flop shorts and a t-shirt. That is what I live in. And I, like I said, I'm scruffy looking nerf herder all the time. I'm like, and I just said, um, if, if you're looking for a gay best friend that's like that, that's not me. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but like, we're not all that. There are lots of those out there and they live for these things and that's great and go find them. But I'll be a parent with you and we can talk about our kids. But I, I don't know anything about housewives or what, how you should cut your hair. I don't know. I just thought all of you knew about that kind of stuff. I'm like, Okay, okay. And I'm like, I'm trying not to get ticked off because, like, I think their heart's in the right place. Possibly, maybe. I don't know. My favorite Bjork song ever because it's true. Possibly, maybe. I don't know. I got to figure this out. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's like, I'm like, but it makes me think of the straightacting.com again. I'm like, okay, do I sit here and play? Like, here's my moment. Do I sit here and play along? Because if I say that's not me, like I chose to do, you know, who doesn't really talk to me much anymore? them because i was the jerk like i'm the one who was a jerk i'm sure my delivery wasn't hard i don't think i'm a main person i but i'm like don't i'm not i'm just not that and then all of a sudden there we go again oh well you're another and i'm cool with you being gay if you don't act quote unquote masculine and you're over here and we can talk about fashion together i'm cool with you being gay like that but I'm not okay with you just being a gay parent that seems to be just like the rest of us over here because you are not us. You are over there. And if you stay in your lane, I'm here to support you. But the minute you try to get in my lane, it's not going to happen. And it's so frustrating. And I feel like to bring it back to the Star Wars and the clone and, and this Mandalorian, I felt very much that in that first time that Din goes into 
to the sewers and there's the fight between that den and and john favreau mandalorian and our drag mother is the one who which i'm telling going back to like is she part of the starth mall thing i don't know like she's like no this is where we were but where we were isn't good enough anymore and we have to move forward and i feel like Din comes back after having that right now. He's gone and built himself a family. He's had all oh, this is a really good transition. We have all this uh, like, you know, he's had all these experiences and he's become so much more comfortable in who he is. And oh, yeah, I know. Uh, and then uh, um, who he is, because he's finally been seen by all these other people actually is who he is. And now when he goes back to confront he's ready to have the Mandalorians be this next level of thing because he's accepted where he is. And he sees that the world can see him as, as something else than just another right down to when Cara Dune and Omer asked to remove his helmet. Like you are more than what you are presenting right here. I see who you are underneath this. I see you. So it was, it was really interesting, but yeah, Ian, how about you? Like what, what's it like that first time you were seen? It's, um, it's very, it's just very freeing. Um, I don't really know any other word to use than that because, um, this is such a like complex topic and conversation, not only having and discussing with other people, but just like with myself too internally, because I, you know, these, this idea of like being seen and who I really am and, and whatever, like to me, it circles back to like presenting and, you know, uh, especially as someone who's non-binary and transgender, like I feel like how I would love to be seen by other people, um, you know, I, I have to, I feel there's a need still to, to hide because in a certain sense, I feel like if I were to, um, dress up in women's clothing and wear makeup and, and, or just like be a bit more androgynous, like, I just feel like there's this acceptance piece I still wrestle with sometimes and there's this there's still this fear i have of um just like presenting myself to the world um you know it it it's uh i have a lot of stuff going on with that internally it's part of the reason too why i like you know have a still have facial hair is um like having this beard, it, it's tough. I'd rather not have it, but um, I have it because I, you know, I think it makes myself look. Uh, I don't know. It just like makes my my chin, my jawline. Um, it highlights certain features of myself better um, than than probably than if I were to like wear makeup and you know part of my like having a job where. Um, you know, I'm out to my colleagues and the other teachers, but not to the students and, 
um, or, you know, finding a few students who are part of our community and like, sort of like, like, come my children, like I'll open up to you and let you know who I really am. Um, It's difficult, really. It's hard and tough. And, you know, I struggle too, because, you know, I look like a straight white man. And so as much as I have this fear of what I look like to the world, um, you know, the way I pass is the complete opposite of it. And um, especially, you know, like, I'd love to not have to worry about what bathroom I feel like doing my business in. Um, But, you know, I also think like if I were to walk into a woman's restroom, like, you know, like I said, with this beard and, you know, looking like a man, like it's, what are you doing in here? Like, why are you here? Um, This isn't for you. This isn't your space. Um, So when I am able to be completely myself and open, it's very, very freeing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, thank you for sharing that. A hard road to travel, I'm sure. And it's, and the fact that you do it every single day and you've come here and been so open and vulnerable is really important. So. I, I wish Toby was here because I've had similar conversations with him when I was still his manager Um, because I, I met Toby before he was transitioning and we had those kind of conversations as well. And I I wish I was here. So I I can only empathize like secondhand, um, from having those conversations with him. And I, he, Mm. (laughs) wondering how much I can say without him being here, (laughs) but yes, um, we, we had those similar conversations and that whole, like, when you were talking about like your students and being like, come here, my children. Um, I, I really felt that with Toby, like it, I really wanted him to always feel safe at work. Um, to when I, when I was his manager, because I wanted him just to be able to be himself. And when we would have asshole customers that would purposely misgender him, they heard it from me. And I, I put, yeah, because I wanted him so much to have that place where he could just openly be himself and try new things and not have to worry about that. Um, because that, that's a real fear. I mean, it's, and I've seriously considered, and I like to think, you know, eventually it'll happen when, um, you know, I guess I have better health I have a better health plan coverage and stuff, but, you know, I've seriously considered, um, you know, taking hormones and, and other stuff. And then there's just like still that fear though. Like I haven't uh, made any appointments for mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood yet or anything. Um, so it's, it's still like this, this internalized, uh, I guess, self-hatred still. Or this fear of like how others will react when they see me. Yeah. And it's not even like, that's not even like the right path for everyone too. But there's been this kind of 
I, I, I'm speaking to a, a friend of mine who is trans, um, and she is so beautiful, but she made the choice to not take hormones um, because, for one, she is a very tall, uh, muscular, before she started transitioning, he, like she was a kind of bodybuilder type. And so now that she's transitioning, like it's very difficult for her to look very feminine, but she kind of made this decision. She was like, all I heard is that I had to do this. This is the only one way to be trans. And she was like, I'm not going to do that because there is more than just, there's, there's more than just one way to be trans. There's more than just one way to be gay. And she and she made a point of that. She's like, I don't want to do what everybody else is telling me to do because I'm going to make this decision of how I'm going to define how I am as a person. And I was like, good job, V. I love you. Yeah, it's hard too because it's like how much there's that question of, um, and I'm sure we've, well, I know Brian has has talked about this too, but, um, you know, am I queer enough? Or what does it look like to be trans to other people or non-binary to other people? And, you know, you go out and, you know, there's this group of people that are telling you, oh, you got to do this X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. And still trying to, like, be comfortable with myself and and finding out who I really am. Well, and that that just goes back to, you know, like what we've been, what we keep saying about how, you know, society tries to dictate to us what our identity should be, or you know, oh, if your if your label is this, then that means X, Y, and Z, and you have to take all this other stuff on, you know, that you didn't ask for. And I think that the solution to that is to inoculate people by give by telling them the principle that like you get to define for yourself. Like humanity encompasses all of these things. You can be anything you want. You can be a woman and have a beard. You know, you can, if you're a trans person, you can take hormones, you can get surgery, you cannot take hormones, you cannot get surgery. Nobody can tell anybody what, like, if you decide what your identity is, nobody else can tell yep. you that you're wrong. <laughs> you know? We just need to expand our ideas about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man, you know, what it means to claim it, these gender it, identities. It goes to what we were just saying. The the idea we need to learn to celebrate what makes us different, not find what looks as, looks the same. Because the fact, I mean, you said it the best, in order to be the same, you're being tolerant. You're not me, but I'll tolerate you. But that that idea of looking for the same means you're you're actively seeking to not pay attention to what's different. And that is a fundamental flaw. Like that is it is that is not being an ally. Yeah. That is not being an ally to say, I don't see a color. I don't see this. That is not. No, because the rest of the world does. And it they see it because it's right here. Like all of these things are a part of who I am. And to say to someone, you know, when we speak about sisters with sabers, all like I, I love Maria. Like I, I have, I have a personal relationship with Maria. She's so wonderful. And she, they talk about a lot of this on their podcast, which is incredible, but there is pride in your skin color. And to say that, Oh, I don't see that. You think you're being an ally, but no, or, or my own experience. Oh, you don't seem that gay. So, like, so what now? You're rethinking everything. But, like, like I, I am not the same as you. I am another. And the active 
idea of only looking for the same, I don't think people get it. it just drives me further away because I, I, I'm not that. Yeah. It's, it's a way of refusing to do the work that's involved in colonizing your mind. That's what it is. It's a way of refusing to do that work and to, and to expand your definitions and to be more inclusive because that takes effort. And, yes. and it's, and it's like, it's, it's a challenge and it's challenging to people's worldviews It's challenging to their identities and they don't want to have to do the work. So they're going to take the path of lead the least resistance and they're going to diffuse conflict and friction by saying, oh, I don't see this aspect of you or, oh, this isn't any reason for me to like not accept you. But at the same time, they're not going to actually take the next step and do the work of redefining, you know, what they have the way that they see identity in a way that's going to be more inclusive and in a way that's going to benefit not only this queer person that's right in front of them but every other queer and trans person that they mean in the rest of their lives yeah no i mean totally yeah it's the truth you know it's it's also saying <laughs> all the work i mean all of us have said it all of us have said this on this very round table the internal work that we have to do ian you've just been speaking the internal work just to see even who you are like it, there's work involved that is hard it is difficult. And for you to say, oh, I didn't even see that. It's so insulting to the work that not only had to happen in order for me to even open my mouth and share something with you, but the work that's going to come two days down the road or the next time that Judge Thomas and Al and Lolito tell me that I might not matter. The work that comes back, like I have to do the work. So don't dismiss the work that I had to do just to get here. Like that is. Well, but that's how. That's how privilege works, right? Privilege means that you get to be carried through life on a litter and you don't have to do hard things and you don't have to be challenged. And 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 when people resist acknowledging their privilege, it means that they're resisting like acknowledging the fact that they haven't had to have those responsibilities. And not only does privilege remove responsibility from the people that are in power, but it it takes that responsibility and it puts it on marginalized people so that they have to do more work. And that's part of how oppression perpetuates itself, right? Because we're so busy just trying to survive that we can't do, you know, we, we don't have, we don't have time and energy to do advocacy, you know, like Hope was talking about, you know, yeah. we, we're forced to submit to our own oppression just because there are not enough hours in the day for us to make a living, be a person, maintain relationships, and break our oppression. And then to add to that, I mean, that's where where we come in feeling like bad gays because then people are just like, well, we're we are at we as allies are doing all this work. Why aren't you doing more? And I'm like, I'm just trying to survive and pay my bills, dude. Thanks for working. But then that's where we feel the shame of not being able to have yeah. the mental spoons yeah. to care. But Sometimes. we have a disproportionate burden to begin with, mm -hmm. you know, and that's why that's why in this era, you know, like we, we say that, you know, if you've always been privileged, equality feels like oppression because what's really happening is that the labor is being distributed equally. So, you know, yes, it is true that when we dismantle oppression, privileged groups, they do have to, you know, it's like this and it means they're going to have to come down a bit, too. So it's yeah. like, you know, you, you have, you have a leveling and, and 
that's just an unfortunate fact of how it works. And it's like, okay, so yeah, so right now, the way society is right now with you on top, you know, you are going to have to take on some, some labor and you're going to have to take on some of the responsibility that has that you have traditionally shoved off onto marginalized and disenfranchised people. And it doesn't feel great, but it's the right mm. thing to do. You know, this might sound exactly, this might sound so it was beautiful. Was very well said. And it makes me think of, Em, how, how do you not have your own podcast? It's, it makes me think of, oh, of that line in The Rise of Skywalker. We have all the Jedi telling Rey to rise up, rise up. No, she spent this whole time trying to say, I need to be right here. Flippin' Ahsoka Tano understands it. You know, you said it, you are going to have to, more of the pompous Jedi arrogance of their place of privilege because we have special powers that you don't have. We have a religious institute. You know, fuck you, all those people who tell me my marriage doesn't matter, like, because of religious freedom. And you know what scares me is there's a lot more people out there who are religious than there are gay people in this world. Like, so I, I feel like impossible. If that's the, if that's the war you're going to, you got more than I do. And I'm afraid to lose that. But like, you know the Jedi and these people. You you yeah. choose reli- you choose yeah. religion. We're born exactly hundred percent. But you know, like you said it beautifully. Like you know, there's you know we have to meet. There's a break in the stairs, and we have to meet at the landing. Yes, I have to put in some work. I'm not telling you. None of us are telling you that we don't have some work to do too. We don't. We under like you. Know, I think back yeah. to to you know Ian brought this up about being too gay hope has mentioned it before of never feeling queer enough whatever whatever it is for you i i remember in 1999 going to march on the capitol for equal rights and and i had i was what 20 years old and i i'm upset you know mark is you mentioned this a little while some of the way we used to think and like i was in the wrong place i think back to that march and it was a really big deal to me. Like it, it was not easy for, I was young. It was not easy for me to get across the country. It was not easy for those things, but I felt, you know, I needed to do something, right. You know? And I remember people standing up on that podium speaking and saying, you know, fighting for equality. And I remember a group of Leathermen coming up and it was something that I, I haven't gone to pride for so long and it's part of the same judgments that I have. And I, I'm still trying to figure out where where I fit in, especially now being a parent. Like there's this whole like that adds a layer of of something like I am a very like I'm a very sexually free person. I think I personally think if we would just abolish the idea of this this thing that sex is somehow this puritanical idea here in the united states of sex is somehow wrong like it would free so many it would free so much if we just stop acting like it's wrong if we would just stop acting like the only reason you have sex is to make Mm -hmm. a baby because no one in this world does that but somehow i'm still judged like i think queer people are not we are not seen as people we are seen as a sexual act which is i remember anyway let's i'm getting off on a tangent but like i remember seeing at this podium and seeing these leathermen up in all their stuff right we've been to pride festivals where there's there's people being walked on on leashes and all that you know good like i hey i i i i i have Plenty of things. I, I have experienced plenty of things, right? Like, Hell yeah. I am very sexually free and open, and I'm here for any of it, right? Like, 
But I remember being so angry at those people in that moment because here you are trying to fight for equality and you have a platform for a minute and this is how you're going to present yourself. Like, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but do you need to do it? We're just trying fighting to be seen. Like, normalize us as much as you can. I remember being very mad about it. I remember going to pride festivals because to me, I'm like, the camera's going to just pick, go to you. They're not going to. Yeah. And I'm like, I've had this and, conversation with my yeah. mom. <laughs> she asked me this actually. She was like, why are all the gay people wearing dresses? And I was like, Mother. and you know, I, I now look back and I'm like, I'm upset with myself for being mad at them. But I also understand how I got there at the same time. It's yeah. this it's this struggle of they have every right to do that. And that might be, you know, that was on a Tuesday. That might be me on Friday. I'm not saying I'm not judging that because I've seen my closet. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, I've seen my web browser. So. And, you know, like it's just this it goes back to I here I am wanting to say that gay people can be more than one thing. And here are these people openly being the gay person that they want to be and present the way they want to present. So why am I holding them to that? I've I'm I'm not like. Like I said, I don't really I and I I have felt as a queer person not being this proud out and proud democrat like I am somehow ruining everything for everybody else because I don't really I'm like, well to me I just think the two party system is what's broken and that's what is broken. So yeah. this is I can't support either one. I'm sorry, I can't. I have I have I am a fairly conservative person in general just like the way I live my life, you know, I call it like whatever I, I i actually had this conversation recently with my my co-podcaster about even just where we live uh, controls our privilege to vote um mm -hmm. he my co-podcaster lives in new york they're gonna give joe biden their electoral votes on a silver platter so he has the freedom of voting whatever party he wants to vote for <laughs> i live in georgia for the past mm. several election has been fighting just to be purple I don't have that choice if I if I don't choose whether I because you know Warren was my first choice that's my girl she would have destroyed everything like she's like she is just the best but that's not my choice I don't have that choice uh, because I live in Georgia and we've just been struggling just to be purple and as, like we our our location also controls so much of like what we can do as well. Um, I, I can't even imagine what Mark Marquis is being queer in Alabama is like, because being queer in Georgia is hard. <laughs> I can't even imagine being queer in Alabama, which is mm -hmm. worse. <laughs> to put bluntly. So yeah, I agree. I, like, right. I'm so jealous of my co-podcaster living in New York because I, I think we should have a five party system. Personally, I think three parties is not enough. I think we should have at least five to, to, have that balance more but i don't get that choice i have to vote democrat because nope. i i don't have a choice if i want to even have a chance of my state being somewhat able to change it's a real struggle i mean i agree like i it's hard because i you know there i'm not gonna lie there was a part when that jerk got voted in i'm like hey at least he's gonna challenge the system i'm gonna try to find something positive in what may or may not be going on here he did and it backfired and I'm like, yeah, OK, but and it's hard to I, I know like I, as queer people have attacked like they have attacked me 
because I'm not a Democrat. And I, they're like, they just will gun. And I'm like, but you didn't ask why I'm not. Like, you didn't ask, I'm sorry, I don't trust my government because I yeah. feel like you're only there if you need my vote. And then when you're, I've said it on this thing and it's my saying, you know, you're fine hopping on a train car when it's full, but you're not willing. And you know, my leader needs to be the first one on that car. They need to run the risk, but none of these people are willing to run the risk. They want to hold on to their power too much. You know, they're Moffin Top Gideon. They are still, and I know there's this old way of dying, but everybody up there right now, I'm sorry, you're stuck on the old way of doing it. And I'm sure we will, now I'll probably really lose listeners, but like, like they're all like, you're still (laughs) yeah i'm just like you're still you are all of our options right now are the old way of doing things and as long as we have two parties it's going to the old way of doing things because as emma has said multiple times you will take the path of least resistance anything to hold on to that power like anything to do it and i to me the most rebellious thing i could do was go vote for a third party and I'm struggling because this is not the year I'm with you, Hope. Like, I don't know if I can this year. Like, I don't know if I can. And that goes so against – I have – I personally, Brian Barry, will have just as hard of a time voting for a Democrat as I would a Republican. It, in this moment, right, I, I know I should not be allowed to say that, but for me, either one are equally as bad. And it's a real struggle. Like, it is, it is really, really hard. Well, this this goes back to what we were talking about in the very first episode, right, where we were saying about how, you know, okay, so, you know, in the time period in which the Mandalorian takes place, the Empire has been defeated, but then, like, 30 years later, the Concordance dissolves and the First Order's in power. It's like, okay, so, like, what do you want? What kind of a world do you want? But then again, there's limitations placed on our ability to build the world that we want because I, the, the system that exists nope. exists to preserve oh, say, itself. I totally, I totally feel like I'm a part of hope and you, Brian, because like I, this election was the first one. It's the first presidential election I've, uh, voted in i usually just vote in midterm elections Mm -hmm. because those seem more relevant to me and more important um and you know as someone personally who's on the uh (laughs) lefter side of things um you know i'm a registered independent and um you know talk about voting laws in Pennsylvania, it's a closed yep. um, primary state. So I can't even vote in the prime. I couldn't even vote for um, Bernie is who I would have voted for. And, um, and I, you know, with Brian, I totally sympathize and empathize with you. I think our two party systems complete trash personally. And um, I can't stand either of the mm-hmm. either of the choices we have right now but um you know again in pennsylvania we're a purple state and i i i almost wrote in bernie sanders but then i just thought like i don't know i had the thinking of like well being a purple state you know th- th- it's really like hinges on on whether or not we vote for 
nope. either of the two people for the um, who will be president for the electoral college votes. And, you know, I, I literally just sat there for like 10 minutes and I finally nope. was just like, whatever, like I, you know, I voted for Biden and, you know, just kind of held my breath and whatever. And as much as like, I didn't want to, it was just like, well, looking back in the four years, like, you know, I was very much like, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe Trump will challenge the system. Maybe we'll see a whole lot more, uh, uh, protests going on. Maybe we'll see more, um, actions by, uh, by marginalized groups and peoples and here we are in 2020 and it's like the complete polar opposite of the types of actions um and protests i thought we would be seeing um and i'd rather have a trash fire than a dumpster yeah you know i hope i hope that these it is it's really hard right now. I mean, 2020 has been a really, really hard year, you know, for all of us. I mean, it's just been, it's been for all of us. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully these things that look like a dumpster, you know, uh, you know, you think about a forest fire and at the end, you know, some, something sometimes really beautiful comes out of the ash. You look at Mustafar and, you know, it was changing by the time we see Tross and maybe that will happen. It's hard to see right now. I have to, I have to hope, that we do. I feel like that dude up there in the, in upstairs has got some absolutely toxic garbage things to say, but at least, at least it's brought some people out that might not have spoken otherwise. And I try to hold on to that. And there are people who may have been cool sitting down in their, in their nice little house, but enough was enough. And a lot more people have gotten up and gotten vocal. And at least there's a conversation happening now that clearly has not been happening for for a very long time so speaking of we can hop back a little bit to the mandalorian because i think i think the dark saber coming so you know whatever y'all have seen the show we know what happened in the chapter <laughs> seven and eight so uh so we have the dark saber now at the end like and what that means to the mandalorian people and the, the symbol of of being a third party, let's face it. They were not Imperials. They were not the Jedi. Those were our two parties during the prequels. They were something other. And that dark saber meant every single bar- bit of it. We're about to meet Ahsoka Tano. Hashtag props, possibly, maybe, whatever. More Bjork. I love Bjork. Uh, like, she is something else. Din is about to enter something <laughs> else. He is not a Mandalorian. He is a foundling. Do I want to go back to the old Mandalorian ways like John Favreau? Do I want to go back to the ways of the Mandalorian like the armor and follow Darth Maul's path? Uh, who, you know, or am I going to be me? And that Darksaber determines who's going, who is someone going, look what it did for Sabine. She held on to that dark saber and you know, she was able to let go of all things and she became who she was. Bo-Katan went through all the stuff. You know where it ended up with her making the decision of who she was going to be going forward. No system was going to tell them who to be anymore. And so when I saw that dark saber, that's what I got excited about. I was like, you know, uh, yeah, you know what? I am not that Star Wars person. I am not the pew, pew, pew Star Wars person. Yes, it looks awesome. I am here for lightsaber fights. I'm here for all that. But it's always the stuff underneath. It's our personal connections to Star Wars. It's what it means to us on an emotional level. That is what will always get me into Star Wars. Those are the conversations I like to have. You know, I don't, I don't care at BT two one droid. I don't care. Like, yeah, they're cool looking. But what, what does that droid mean? What did it mean when that droid walked up and almost shot 
din not not how cool that droid was or look how great the cg mm-hmm. thank god it's practical effects thank i don't care I don't care. Those yeah. things all service the story. What's boiling underneath the surface? Like, I toxic fanboy crap of prequels. Who cares? Listen to the story. Like, listen to the story. That is what good CGI, bad CGI, great practical effects, shitty practical. Oh, my God. This is the most cursy episode of Pink Milk ever. Like, they Yay! don't. If the story is garbage, <laughs> none of that will matter. You know, I none of it will matter. None of it will matter. Uh, you know, Tross has been, and both TLJ were, have been very divisive, but the one thing I'll say that I'm grateful that I'm not hearing, well, the effects in this were better and those ships were like, you know, no offense, Hope or all of us actually get out of the comic book store because we don't care. Get your head out of the long box and get into reality about what the story was. You know, <laughs> it those where they both worked were the the contention between the two is not about the effects. It's about the choices made and the story told. So that is where both of those will fail. I'm pretty open that I trust is not my favorite, but at least it's not being attacked on any of those things. It's being attacked. It had the balls to make story choices. Same with Luke Skywalker, make him cranky. Luke it had the balls to make a story choice that actually matters. I don't care about the other stuff. And if you do, you're not my, I'm not saying you're not a Star Wars fan. That's not, don't go hate on me about this Twitter. Like I, but that's not who, that's not the conversation I want to have. I don't want to hear about how cool the dark saber is. You tell me how that's going to affect Dan and how that's going to move the story forward, because that's why it's there. And so what is it going to mean when we get, we are presented with our past right now to circle it back to the beginning of the episode right now, we are faced with what is our marriage going to matter? That marriage certificate right now, the metaphor is the dark saber. And right now the government's trying to take it back. And that motherfucking dark saber is mine. And I will go fight you for it again. Like it is mine. The Jedi thought they they thought they took it once and buried it in, in their little temple. You know what? Somebody went and got it back out because you didn't like a Mandalorian being a Jedi. You we all of a sudden that Mandalorian was too gay for the Jedi Order. So nope, we're gonna villainize you. And nope, nope, not gonna be one of us. And and here we are. They got it back. And now those dipwits on the Supreme Court, Moff and Top Gideon with your big fancy cape, dude. I see you with that cape. I see you not being able to handle your femininity. And you're going to try to take that on me because I can wear this cape and I can shine my armor. Well, fuck you. Fuck you because I'm going to wear this with pride. And you're going to be a little, a little wimp over there in the corner with your EK-40 trying to prove how big something is. Honey, I see it ain't that big. You ain't got nothing I want to play with because I'm going to be bored. I'm going to be bored real quick. And now I'm going to come back and take that thing from me because, honey, it's too little and you can't handle this. So I'm going to take it back. Like, what what is it going to mean for us to take back what's ours? That's how. Fuck you. Fuck that. That's how I feel. Like, that's what this is about. That dark saber is my motherfucking marriage certificate. And who's going to who's going to win? Who's going to win this battle? I'm waiting because I can tell you before. I fought for me, yeah. but right now I've got three little boys down there, and you thought I was fine just protesting down that thing? I got fucking daddy claws out now, and I will do a lot more than just walk. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to try to take that away from me? I will do a lot more than walk. <sighs> Sorry. Tom's, Tom's going to slide in here and be like, daddy. 
I'm here for this. Oh my that's God, the title of the episode. Awesome. Dark Saber is my marriage certificate. That, that, that was like sugar baker level of reading, okay? <laughs> Do me a favor and let me know what Tom thinks of here's this episode because I <laughs> Oh my God. But you know, it's really interesting what you're talking about about like uh, the way the, the the narrative is framed as the dark like as soon as you see the dark saber like people who know what it is they're gonna know that it's like irresistible to den like he's gonna come and get it and it doesn't matter that it's a moth that he's facing you know it's like he's gonna he like that is his legacy but the other interesting thing is the fact that he is a foundling and by blood you know he may not like it's in a way he he doesn't have the same connection to it that um that sabine would have had you know yeah. as someone descended from someone who was like you know by by blood someone who was prominent in mandalorian society so it's like hmm. yeah can i throw a wrinkle in this conversation you're about to have right now because this is something that i think I my predictions are we will have the helmet removal by the end of season two. Like that will be the thing going forward because I think there is all these people trying that it's in my show notes somewhere that clearly I don't ever pay attention to on our roundtables because we don't get to half of them. But people are trying to say it's retconning. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. We don't. Have we don't. Tom, here. Tom is my like do 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 everything. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's not retconning. We don't know what the story is of why they haven't removed their helmets. Like yeah. to me, like, so it, there are no contradictions yet. There could be. Exactly. I have trust yeah. in the all powerful Dave Filoni that that dude knows what he's doing. And it's about who the heart of a Mandalorian is. Cause we're about to get to that question. Like, are we yeah. the helmet? Are we the dark saber? Are we something else? Because we've already had the year foundling versus being verse yeah. versus a natural born Mandalorian. Right. I personally believe that Din Djarin is force sensitive. I know a lot of people don't want that because we are done with the force stuff, but I think that character being introduced as not knowing it. And now we, there are so many layers to what this could mean because now if he's not a born Mandalorian, he has no right to that for to the dark saber. And that dark saber is everything to the Mandalorians. So what would it mean if we get Bo-Katan, we get Sabine, we get the people that may or may not come with them? I'm trying to think of who, what bad, bad Mandalorians are out there. Who in Death and Death Watch is another one. They are so stringent on being a Mandalorian, right? That is that is what they represented. We are this. So, well, and we know f- we know for a fact that Death Watch are uh-huh. the ones who took e- Din. Exactly. Because like, we saw the emblem in that episode. Like, that was v- a very clear choice yep. that they made. So we know for a fact that he was part of Death Watch for at least part of yep. his life. So what would it mean to that ideology, right? And then the ideology of the armor possibly being a mall loyalist, but now all of a sudden a Mandalorian who is also a Force user, who is Force sensitive, wouldn't that person be the one who has the ultimate right to that dark saber, possibly. Like, possibly. I, I mean, that's God, where so I many questions and thoughts I know. here. I know. I'm like, can we, can we <laughs> do the first one? <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Brian, may I chime in here? Yes. Um, I, I, so I think that 
I, I get what you're saying. It's like they're going to be certain people who are going to be like, well, that belongs to me. Hello, Kylo Ren. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that whole mentality. Of course, they're going to want to be the ones to, to get this sword. And while Din may be like, not have that idea of how important it is, maybe does, maybe doesn't. I think then Drag Mother Armorer is going to set him straight and going to tell him, look, this is the history of this. You are one of us now. You have to get this back for us. This is your, on top of the mission you have of taking care of baby Yoda, as part of our people, as part of our culture, you need to take this back. Whether it stays with you or whether it gets to the right person, here's your side quest. Yep. (laughs) It's like, you know, here's your important (laughs) side quest on on your next level of, you know, of of maturity. Um, I I think that's going to come into play because he he may, you know, he knows enough, but I think he's going to get set straight and and he's going to have to help get that thing back. Oh, and by the way, sorry, earlier before I lose my gay license, I said, um, Suzanne Sugarbaker actually I met Julia Sugarbaker. Excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, that's embarrassing. Put the sorry. pitchforks down, people. We got it covered. Yeah, hope. I, okay. I honestly think it's just much more simpler to, than that. Um, I always actually, when I saw the Darksaber, I thought of the scene in Star Wars Rebels when Finn Rao and Kanan Jarrus sat together to talk about the Darksaber. And these two enemies, these two warring sides who have this long history, at the end of the day, the dark symbol, the dark saber is a symbol of hope to both of their societies. And you have Baby Yoda, who is a Jedi, and you have Din Jarrus, who is a Mando. And it means so much to both of their cultures. And it's going to bring them together as a symbol of hope. Uh, for both of their sides, uh, because the Jedi are gone and the Mandos are apparently gone too. So what are both of their cultures going forward? And it's actually going, I I think it's going to be a moment of healing for both of their sides to continue to go forward, as we were saying, to break the system, to break the system that's come before so they can start a new way of life going forward. And I think that's also going to help define what it means to be a Mandalorian. Um, I I don't know much myself about this, but I know a friend of mine is really into like the Legends Mandalorian stuff. It didn't matter if you weren't born a Mandalorian. If you were adopted and you followed their way, you were a Mandalorian. It was not a blood choice. It didn't matter your family. It didn't matter your blood. And so that was something that she was so excited that they were going to analyze this because it's not about the Vizlas or or the Cries families or anything like that. If you chose to be a Mandalorian, you're a Mandalorian. That's it. And I that's that's what I, I don't think it's going to be about who is force sensitive and stuff like that. I think it's going to be a symbol of healing between these two warring sides who have been both decimated to come together and to start a new path forward. Just like Finn Rao and Kanan Jarrus did. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, and clearly in, in the Lucasfilm story group right now, the idea of blood versus versus choosing your identity is very top of mind. I think, you know, mm-hmm. I all of these things will come together at some point because, I, you know, I get that we're in a big galaxy far, far away, but we're still only peering into the eye, views of certain sorts of people. And I do think... If there isn't direct, you know, I don't know. I'm not for an MCU type of thing, but themes, you know, are always going to interconnect. And that that theme of choice and chosen identity is the heart of Star Wars. Like everything else, 
different symbols, different things are all are about that. At the end of the day, it's about that. And who are you? You know, that that was one of the great things from the, the Force Awakens teasers, you know, to bring us back in. Who are you? Because that's what Star Wars is. Uh, who are you? Who are, every every one of our characters has struggled with who they are at some point in time and and chooses a, a certain path down the road. Ian, do you have anything to add? Oh, do I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I like what uh, Mark said about the side quest with this dark saber, because I have a feeling that the whatever however many seasons or episodes this runs of a feeling that the end will culminate with the return of uh yoda jr to its either the family or jedi um but then also din finally uh reclaiming the dark saber and i like to think that he would bring it back to the armorer and she would then inform him and then now um if he is or isn't a force user um you know it's up to him now to unite mandalorians and it ends with like him leaving to return to mandalore or where um wherever it is in that part of the galaxy, um, you know, to finally return home and unite the, their people again. I have a question for the group here. Do you, is there any way that that person who picks up Din that we see in chapter eight and flies him away is there any way that's Bo-Katan? Because that's where my head went the very first time. Because I think, again, that would be really interesting. We don't know what happens totally to Bo-Katan after the Siege of Mandalore. Yes, we see her in Rebels and all those things. But we don't know how Bo-Katan exactly is going to handle the fall of the Empire. What happened is they started asserting their power again. And... Is there a possibility that that Mandalorian is her? Like I, you know, there. Like I think that would be something incredibly interesting. And again, to now we have the armor, who's like his, you know, drag mother and another leader, who could be in very, very opposed to Bo Katan's way of thinking. If 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 that train of her being related to Darth Maul in some sort of way, but like imagine Din Djarin being raised by Bo-Katan. Like when I first like, saw the dark, sorry to interject. Yeah. yeah. When I saw the dark saber at the end and then, you know, having previously just seen death watch, uh, rescue Din, I immediately thought, okay, Sabine and or Bo-Katan. Those mm-hmm. were the uh, two, um, major characters who are inherently related to the dark saber and to uh death watch or mandalore and mandalorian ways yep yeah i don't know i it's more connective tissue that people don't necessarily want and i totally respect that 
But I mean, like the the logical side of my brain says no, only just because uh, Bo Katan has the night owl mask. Yep. They specifically gave her the night owl mask. Um, yep. So my logic brain goes no. Yeah. I mean, but story wise, I mean, there's it. Yeah, I mean, it's a possibility. They they've retconned stuff before. They've changed stuff before. I mean, there's there's always a possibility of anything until proven or said otherwise. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it's out well, there. It could maybe happen. they take so, he was into Bo-Katan. Yeah. yeah. And he was little. He had a fuzzy memory of the whole thing. He may not be remembering it the way it actually is, and then we actually get to see it as it is. And that's how it gets retconned. <laughs> I mean, it could be Bo-Katan's girlfriend, and he could have two game offs. <laughs> there we go. That's what yes. I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm waiting for Bo-Katan and, uh, and uh, Ahsoka Tano kiss. I'm just saying. Ooh. They see each other. I was waiting for an Ahsoka oh, Tano and Asajj. Because it's her girlfriend. Uh, yes. Yeah. Hey. Well, you know she what? Could be your, she could be I your think... first girlfriend. You know? Hang on. Oh, <laughs> so goodness. good embarrassed. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Polyamorous. Yes, I was going to say, we are here on Pink Milk discussing we do not need to fall into the system of there is one person per relationship. We can have multiple Ooh. partners. We can be All open right. here. Yes. Hello. So I have hello. I have quite a few friends who are really, <laughs> and they they're wonderful, all lovely people. Don't put yes. a silk in that box. Her lightsabers can change color. I'm I'm free with the wind. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I don't know. I I think it's it's interesting to see where this could go because there have been so many little carrots dropped in. I mean, yeah, we're gonna have to get a history lesson again for the dark saber. You know. Hopefully, it, I it, hopefully it won't just be a rehash of Rebels, gonna, but we're gonna have to do like something. Logic speaking, like they'll probably give some kind of rehashing just for the people nope. who haven't seen the animated shows, yeah. and that's just a, that's just a logic of normal people are watching it, not deep diving people. I mean, that, yep. that's going yeah. to happen at some point. And it could be just an, the armor teaching a lesson, and we get that little history lesson. As to what has happened or where it's going, you know? And it's Dave Filoni. He's going to give us deep divers even more context to add into it. It won't just be a blank rehashing. There's going to be more added to it for those of us because, you know, he's one of us. Yeah. Dave Filoni rewards us for paying attention over and over and over and over. Maybe. What about baby Dinjarin in a tiny little Mando helmet getting a baby lesson from the armor being so cute? <laughs> and then in the oh. present, he gives his baby helmet to baby Yoda. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> there like, will be a baby Yoda helmet at some point. There's going to be something. Yeah. He's yeah. going to get out of that potato sack if we're, you know, I I know, Emma, you're excited about that being Ilum. Uh, that we see, I don't know. Do we even know the planet that Ahsoka's on at the end of <laughs> season seven? Like where the helmets are? I tend to think that's where that's where my head goes. Only because we're right after season seven, and that will tie in Clone Wars. Like right then and there. Like I think, I the think that's where scene? we meet Ahsoka. I think, I think that's where they are. And I would not be surprised if we're at the place where those lightsabers are buried. Because again, I tend to think that Din Djarin is force sensitive and maybe this dude's going to pick up some lightsabers and those lightsabers are there. But is Ilum an ice planet? Like, is it icy all the time? Well, because until recently. Because yeah. I thought that in that in the cr- when the crash happens, I didn't think that it was snowy. I thought it was only snowy when Vader went there. Yeah, but it's I could Oh, you're right. You're right. It's currently yeah. listed as an unidentified moon on Wikipedia. Yep. I, so there you go. Okay. I yeah. 
was um I was in the middle of playing Jedi Fallen Order when mm. season seven came out. So okay. I thought yep. that they crashed on the planet that you know uh, I forget what it's called, but um you know, you end up eventually going into the Republic cruiser. I don't know, but I'm really disappointed. I just got off my soapbox saying how important it was to pay attention to every ship name, every planet name. If you do not know all these things off the top of your head, you, my friend, are not a real Star Wars fan. Jay's <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I don't know. I've so, never uh, that was it for me today. I'll, I'll see you all later. <laughs> it's a prank. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> You know, when I was watching uh, Werner Herzog playing the wonderful quiet, at one point he was like, let me see the pram. And I was like, I thought of Ian. <laughs> he, he said the word pram. Oh, flavor, flavor. <laughs> and here and we I go. I love it. Emma's over here, like, looking it up. I love nerds. So real quick, I'm just going to do an awkward interjection here because we're about to, like, super nerd out, which I am here for. But... Uh, we, I think, are going to, at least some of us here, I think the five of us are going to come back next week because we miss each other already. <laughs> so we're going to come and we can bring all this stuff up in next week and what we want to maybe see in season two, I think will be a fun conversation. So this is going to be a very awkward end to this podcast, but hey, you're going to get us all back next week. So thank God for awkward things because we just got another week and I'm very, very grateful. So I want to say thank you for, first to... Toby and Kayla met Scott and Mark Marquis, since they are not here. Thank you for being a part of this to Ian, Emma, Hope and Mark P. Thank you. I know this sounds corny, but I really do mean it. Like I have never, we were talking about being seen earlier in this, in this podcast. And I have to say, this is the first time in my 41 years of living that I feel like I have been seen on every single level. I am always that star Wars guy who takes it too far, who does this or, and I've never been able to nerd out like this, not just with queer people, but I think ever with anyone. So thank you. I see all of you too. And I, I am just grateful. I think you've made the podcast better. We are quickly approaching our one year anniversary. And Tom and I have some serious chit-chatting to do because I think going forward, I don't think this podcast can be exactly what it was before, what that looks like. I don't know yet, but I am excited to see what the future holds. Um, all the of you have Zepho. brought... Totally sorry to interrupt. Zepho, there was, we go. It was, it was Zepho. Zepho. <laughs> Okay, cool. Oh my god! I did not oh, remember. The, I didn't remember the, the nerds. wreck being there. All I remembered was all the puzzles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. The nerds. <laughs> no, no. This Forget is perfect. This is why I love Zepho, all you. Guys, Zepho. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pram. It's a pram. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I just I honestly thank you from the bottom. I really, really, really mean it. I love what happened here. It has been four short weeks, but I feel a tremendous bond to all of you. And I am thank you for being as open as you were, making us better people, making me a better person, making the podcast better. Um, and if anything, this podcast is very much an extension of who I am. So therefore, like you just made me better. So I appreciate it. Um, with that, let's do some self-plugging here. Let's get into marketing mode. Ian, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at igallagher321, and I have special news. I thought I'd drop it here first. Oh. I will be uh, doing a new podcast, and it's called the Katana Cast. 
Oh. And I will be joined by another LGBT member of the Star Wars community and also Maria from Sisters with Sabres. Yes. That's awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Emma, where can we find you? I can be found on Twitter at Foxfleur, F-O-X-F-L-E-U-R, and ship who you want. All ships are valid. Fantastic. Hope. Um, you can find me at Hope Mullinex. I also have my website, uh, geekygirlexperience.com, where I write about animation, Star Wars, queer stuff, and sometimes all three together. And I'm also the co-podcaster for J Guys and Jedi, which this episode is very much in line with because we swear <laughs> we have a Dirty Yoda segment. Dirty Yoda hit on Brian a few weeks ago. Oh my uh, God. Dirty, Dirty Yoda touched Brian's feet. And we make lewd jokes. And I've talked about Thrawn's penis more than I I probably should ever dirty know. yoda's but, touching no. brian now yeah dirty yoda <laughs> found me in the bushes yeah. found Absolutely. me cruising in the bushes so if you like uh, adults talking about animation that's my brand <laughs> mark perez take us out on some toilet humor my friend take us out right. on some toilet humor <laughs> i am i can be found on twitter at uh, i am el diablito and um, I can also be heard on the uh, podcast Taking a Number Two, which is a Star Trek podcast that's part of the Bad Motivators Patreon network. Um, and I wanted to say thank you, and I love you guys, and I'm so glad I got to be part of this. It's been fantastic. Yeah, like, Brian, thank been, you oh for God, you yes. and Tom opening up your platform for us to be here and mm-hmm. talk about this. Like, you opened up your platform and welcomed us onto your show, like, to have these conversations. And in turn... Like we all met each other and we all love each yeah. other. <laughs> it's been really, it's been really wonderful. This is the thank you. Comes from your... Thank you, everyone. I so much for you. Uh, <laughs> especially you, Brian and and Tom. Again, opening up your platform for not just like to listeners, but also just to other members of uh, the LGBT plus Star Wars community. And I'm so glad we have our our little family now. It's really awesome. It's really awesome. Yeah. Oh, Emma, we love what you're saying, but we can't hear you. Oh, no. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, no, I just wanted to, I wanted to say that this has been a wonderful experience for me, and I feel so privileged that I got to share this time and this space with all of you, and I love you, and I'm so glad we're family now. Yes, we were in our group chat trying to figure out some pink milk name jackets. So you listeners out there, shoot us some tweets, get us some, get us some names because I want to be the pink milk movers. And I'm not sure if that's good. <laughs> All right. Until I guess next week now, thank you to our new family. You'll hear us at least one more time together in the near future. I don't think this will be the last time any of us are on the pod together. Um, we'll figure things out. I appreciate you all very much. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next week. Bye. Drink up. Drink up. Drink up. (laughs) And my name is Jack, and we're back. Good job, Jack. And as you see, we're back. Yes, we are. And Thomas, we really, really missed you. I missed it too. I'm looking forward to hearing it on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify. Instagram, <laughs> Google Podcast, Google Podcast, <laughs> Amazon Music, Amazon Stitcher. Music. Hey, trying there... to get on Pandora. <laughs>
Is this but Pandora's box is not opening for me. <laughs> not today. <laughs> no, honestly, thank you to all of our guests, Scott, Kayla, Met, Toby. We've missed you on these last few. Uh, your voices were very important. Thank you for sharing. And I've said it here a few times to all of our new friends. Um, honestly, not just the roundtable, but all of the people listening and to the people that spend time with us on Twitter. I appreciate it so incredibly much. You have no idea. I am not lying when I say I have never felt seen as a complete person before this past few weeks. It's been really, really wonderful. Um, well, I shouldn't say never because my husband has, but he's I was going to say I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you so, so much. Thank you for this roundtable. And I'm very excited to say that some of us are coming back next week because we missed each other already. So there's going to be a few of us next week talking about our expectations for season two of The Mandalorian. And there may be another special announcement that next week. So until then, get ready, because it's time to drink up. Drink up. Bye. Bye.